One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight. This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. Welcome back, everyone, to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And before we get into today's episode, we actually had something really exciting happen earlier today, which is uh, kind of a hidden message that was found in uh, this year's Halo Infinite trailer. And I thought it was really cool. It's a really ominous kind of message. But it was found by Twitter user XEPYAL, however you pronounce that. Basically, it was whenever Chief's armor was booting up. And a QR code pops up, but he actually had to look at it frame by frame and kind of crop it down. And what's within the QR code is a hidden message from Cortana. So we're actually going to play that for you right now and kind of let you guys listen to it. And then we'll kind of talk about it more. So yeah, that was the message, and it, it's starting to kind of open up a floodgate of a lot of popular theories regarding why Cortana is evil in Halo 5, and they're talking about she has possibly the logic plague, because at the end of Halo 2, we see that the Gravemind gets to have a conversation with her, and there are other stories about her 
you know, and this in this conversation. And also she can fragment herself. So another theory is that like the Cortana that we see is like an evil fragment because. Yeah, because it's even started in previous books that we've read mm-hmm. yeah we've already talked I mean, back about in first this. strike is mm-hmm. already a, a piece where we're seeing her split her personality and then you you know first start to see it in the game in three yeah no not necessarily like the, i guess it's implied that there's a small fragment that's sending him messages and talking to him and even in reach that that part of cortana that you have to escort back to the pillar of autumn is just a just a part of cortana and then we'll we'll see it for sure and it's very tangible in halo 4 as well yeah that's i mean that's when you're first starting to see it on screen where she splits up into multiples and you're actually Mm -hmm. seeing it split but you're having in first strike when chief is on the ship and has to have multiple cortanas doing things and then her logic is that okay i need to split into more to handle these other things that are happening which Mm -hmm. then splits into more to do this relay and then you kind of see that with that and then also with her coming up you know on well over seven years seeing what she can kind of do to try and live forever Mm -hmm. yeah so that's kind of the theory is whenever she breaks off into multiple cortanas within halo 4 one is kind of evil one's kind of not i know they also dive into her splitting off into fragments in the comic uh tales from slip space which is a good comic by the way yeah and and so to talk a little bit more we do hear besides her sending a message is kind of like oh it's part of me we do hear footsteps so Mm -hmm. it could be part of a cutscene. it could be a number of things it's heavy footsteps is it a spartan yeah is it a brute is it forerunner i mean you you don't really know what any of the tech is with it so it'll be very exciting to kind of see Mm -hmm. how they decide to take that i know someone said it might have been halo canon that uh it kind of lines up with the ending of the Infinite trailer. Mm-hmm. So that's another theory. I, I think a lot of interesting things are going to come from this, along with people are going to be breaking down that trailer even more now than they already have. So hopefully we get one or two more really interesting things from this. Moving on now, let's talk about the topic at hand. Today's episode, we're going over Ghosts of Onyx. And this is one that people have been looking forward to for a while. I know whenever we posted about it today on Instagram, a lot of people have had told us like this is the episode i'm looking forward to so let's break down at least about the book ghost of onyx is the fourth book in the halo universe written by eric nyland and the first halo novel to be released on tour books ghost of onyx was released october 31st 2006 in the u.s and the uk and we and obviously we've seen nyland before mm-hmm. uh nyland wrote both first strike and fall of reach mm-hmm. uh, some of the first few books we read and he's one of for my opinion one of the better authors uh that bungie's had with their books yeah, And just creates a really compelling story. We're going to see him a few more times in a couple of stories coming up as well, which is really awesome. Yeah. So what he's done for Ghost of Onyx really made an interesting, compelling story even more that with the way he writes it. Yeah. So let's move into writing the book itself. Nylon was actually ready to write Ghost of Onyx, and Bungie was willing to let him write it or basically write whatever story he wanted to, you know, coming off of the success of Halo 2 or, you know, the hype for Halo Mm -hmm. 2. They really needed something compelling afterwards to also bridge some gaps in between Combat Evolved 2 and and 3. But Bungie, you know, was like, okay, you can kind of write whatever you want. It just has to have some very specific story goals uh, that Bungie had in mind. And and in an email interview with IGN, Nyland states, quote, Bungie asked me to meet with them last year to discuss the possibility of another Halo novel. I came in with a, here's how I see it. But then I got filled in on a few secrets and had to scrap those plans. <laughs> Additionally, I was given some very specific goals to accomplish in this novel, more so than the other two, which is what you kind of brought up with. Yeah. They, now that they have 
set story and set lore, you kind of got to follow that. Uh, and to finish it, I had an infinite amount of freedom as long as I could make the things they wanted to occur happen within the story, end quote. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think why this story is so dynamic and like highly regarded is because they kind of just let Eric go wherever. Clearly, I think they had a few plot points that they they wanted to do with blue mm-hmm. team and whatnot which we'll get into but i think overall just his ideas kind of really just went through the roof because he's been with bungie since the story bible yep. so he's he's seen all of this unfold and so having this opportunity to just really do whatever he wants i think it was awesome but in the past nylon was able to fudge some lore in his favor a lot of aspects of ghost of onyx was already made public though so he couldn't really change much of the story once it was made you know once bungie was like this is what this book is going to mm-hmm. be about so that was kind of a roadblock there yeah and, but, you, and you could kind of see that in the ign interview because mm-hmm. uh, they have it broken down it's obviously email so they have it broken down into the interviewer questions and nylon's responses uh-huh. and they're pretty like so what are you gonna do with dr halsey what are you going to do with this thing? And yeah. he just comes back with these great quips. Like, they ask, you know, on the cover, it seems like there's a new gun and new armor. And then Nyland just comes back with this smart-ass response of like, yeah, so the gun, it's one where you pull a trigger and things <laughs> come out and don't point it at yourself. And the armor, you wear it. Yeah, well, there's always been like not no, so much controversy, but like the 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 covers themselves, especially with the reprint of the first three books, mm-hmm. aren't exactly canon. You know, like clearly, like oh, we're seeing two generations of armor when they shouldn't be there. It's like it's it's more just like covers, at least within the Bungie era, are uh, up to interpretation. I know yeah. with Contact Harvest, there was even some controversy of like Johnson on the cover holding a BR, even though we weren't introduced to that until halo 2 yeah so stuff like that people really take to heart when you got to realize like a it's bungie's universe yes if they if they want to say in this book this is when this gun was first introduced and then change that they really can yeah and and you have to take cover art for a lot of times what it is. Mm-hmm. It's just a very interesting piece that tries to get the book to move off the shelf. Yeah. Well, even like our episode covers, they're yeah. not always like we're not doing this and being like, this is, you know, a, a canon image from this. You know, it's just something interesting and up for interpretation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Nylon was given 15 weeks to write the book, but he claimed it still wasn't enough time, sitting he lost sleep, ate too much chocolate and drank too much coffee. I don't see the issue personally. <laughs> Nylon would also express that writing the book Universe had its ups and downs. In uh, the same interview with IGN, Nylon states, I don't look at it as writing a book in a video game universe. I look at it as writing for Halo, which for me transcends being just a great video game. It's evolving into a whole new mythology. He also stated, it's better because I have all these great toys and characters to play with. It's not so good because I have to work and play well with other parts of intellectual property so everything meshes. Tor Books editors were also given more time with Ghost of Onyx to help iron out the plot and help make it less confusing and tangled as Nyland's other novels. I kind of know we talked about that in First Strike. It kind of jumps around and sometimes some of the overly sci-fi stuff kind of gets out there. He kind of mm-hmm. does that in this book as well. We'll talk about. Yeah, he, but... goes, he goes on some Nyland tangents for sure. Yeah. Uh, which which <laughs> they... they... They do add an element to the book that is interesting. So if you mm-hmm. do like space warfare, if you do like just general intricacies mm-hmm. of whether it's the Covenant, the UNSC, or in this, as we discover, uh, more of the Sentinels, mm-hmm. you kind of just get a little bit deeper detail of it. Yeah. During the writing process, two chapters would be cut from the book due to pacing reasons, even though Nylon wants them to be released 
you know, he wanted the, these two chapters to be released within the books. And I think there was a rumor out there of a reprint mm-hmm. that was going to come out with those two chapters. But this we have yet to see this reprint that he talked about early on. This book was also originally supposed to be called Ghosts of Coral, which I'm glad it's called Ghosts of Onyx. I think that's a lot more ominous. and Yeah, and it, and it doesn't sound like Rick Grimes calling his kid. So... <laughs> And uh, something that we haven't talked about before is the, the illustration for the cover, mm-hmm. because those first three were just at least those original first three were like kind of in-game renders. The cover of this book was illustrated by Isaac Hannaford. And I assume that's probably helps when you switch from Delray to Tor. Mm-hmm. Probably you have different publishing contract. You probably have mm-hmm. artists on staff certain areas or however you do the contract for it. Mm-hmm. Probably helped for it. Yeah. Uh, Isaac had his art featured in the graphic novel in mm-hmm. a previous episode. So it was really cool to see that. And he's actually been doing a lot of covers and art for the Halo franchise for years. So it was really cool to see that and even see a pull up of the original art that he did without the text or anything on it, which you can find, I think, if you just Google his name. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to the book itself. Uh, the meat and potatoes, you might say. The meat and potatoes of today's episode. It starts with a kind of a, you know, the the prologue is very devastating. Yeah. So it begins with 300 Spartan 3s, a beta company, being deployed to a Covenant-controlled planet, Pegasi Delta. And this was in 2545. And so, so seven years prior to quote-unquote current events. Yeah, and they they had a mission to destroy these batteries, correct? Mm-hmm. And so it, it describes them battling all these Covenant forces. I think at one point they say thousands of jackals? Yeah, because it's basically a Covenant shipyard. Mm-hmm. This is where they're building their cruisers, their battleships, mm-hmm. everything with it. So by destroying these batteries, which are fueling those plasma engines, mm-hmm. they pretty much render the planet null and void for the Covenant to even use. Yeah, and it, it, it stuff like this... This is turning the tide of the war because yeah. if these missions aren't you know being accomplished and there's a possibility that earth would have lost years before these quote-unquote current events mm-hmm. and one of the big reasons that they were trying to take this down not only is it a covenant shipyard so huge blow mm-hmm. to the covenant it's knocking on the doorstep of unsc controlled space yeah which obviously is huge right there and then you wouldn't want to see them basically create another armada mm-hmm. that was wiped out previously like yeah. right then and there to just Right there at Earth again. Yeah. And they they kind of realize that something's wrong here. Yeah. And all of a sudden, just seven large Covenant cruisers come in. And I, I like that they talk about how they're like, we should have seen this because there's no way like they would have been sent on this mission otherwise. But they were misidentified as stars at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then they come into orbit and it's basically just like this, oh, shit moment. Uh, at the end of the day, they they do accomplish their mission. They destroy everything. And, you know, Spartan 3s, we're going to find out they're sent on suicide missions. They're supposed to be one and done. Uh, but two survive, Tom B-292 and Lucy B-091. They're only 12 years old that we find out. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really kind of traumatic that Lucy is like instantly like, we need to go find everyone. Like, we need to go find these people. And he, and Tom's like, they're dead. Yeah, because w- what happens is the reactors and everything in there explode. Mm-hmm. It basically just detonates that entire area yeah. and wipes it out. So just imagine an atom bomb dropping, wiping everything out, and they mm-hmm. happen to get out of there. And, yeah, so Lucy looks back and then protests, and you have Tom be like, we, there's no one left. We have to go. Yeah. And, you, and then when they get back, you eventually figure out when she goes through Medbay that she can't 
speak. She goes mute because she was diagnosed with post-traumatic vocal disarticulation. Yeah, which is, it's like, it's already like within this prologue is that she lost her her friends and now she's just mute. Mm -hmm. So she can never talk again, which I think is just, and it's a very real sign of things that happen. And war is what I think Eric really wants to do in this is kind of like see you know ptsd within soldiers and we talked about that in first strike he Mm -hmm. actually went back and met with soldiers and was like what's wrong you know with halo what's wrong in this book like what can we figure out to make it as realistic as possible Mm -hmm. and this is kind of like that and you'll get to the end of the book but what i love is the beginning and end of this book both kind of end in a tragedy but also something comes out of it yeah like a small victory as Mm -hmm. well a little bit of victory and so with the deaths of her companions from Team Foxtrot, which is the the team that both Lucy and Tom were part of. Mm-hmm. We wrap up our quick prologue. And some of the things you want to take away from the prologue, we're changing up the podcast a little bit. I want to give you guys just a little more details, reviews of this, of really key things. Mm-hmm. Two big things stand up for me. One, we are now introduced to the spy armor yeah uh which gives you that full camo that you'd get as an elite mm-hmm. so full blend mode as you know some might <laughs> blend, say blend mode as, yes. I, as i make that up now and uh <laughs> and we also get introduced to spartan threes yeah they were they were hinted at in first strike mm-hmm. very heavily so now we actually get to see them full-fledged and we're kind of already learning you know we don't know much about them but it's like okay spartan threes can apparently be deployed at 12 years old which is crazy to me yeah well and you're not just fighting rebels at 12 you're yeah. actually taking down an entire covenant basically armada building center yeah which is it's it's so terrifying to think of and so now we go to section one ambrose and now we're back to 2531 and we see some familiar faces mm-hmm. blue team so basically what they're doing is they're on the planet victoria and they're going to recover some nuclear warheads that are uh, stolen by some insurrectionists and i like that as they're kind of spying and killing people we're introduced to kurt and he's part of the blue team along with master chief and linda and fred and he he mentions he's like something's off because he looks at what the insurrectionists like the kind of ammo they have and they're mm-hmm. like it looks like they're trying to take out tanks but you know he, he doesn't really think anything of it he's like eh something's off but maybe it's just me yeah he's he's kind of the spartan with the sixth sense type deal as they start yeah. out because it's interesting because with blue team having a fifth member he's the only new one that hasn't been part of this crew for so long mm-hmm. so what i love is to kind of give you the the kurt backstory of it you have chief kind of talk about a little bit about you know He's not one of the best out there, but he was one of the most sociable of the Spartans, which is an oddity because Spartans were always thought about, like, you know, pushing their emotions down, not really dealing mm-hmm. with anyone outside of them. But he would jovial, like, talk with captains and CEOs. They said and, like, he tried to talk to everybody, yeah, he tried like, to talk within to the team. So he, like, always was trying to get to know people, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool because we are starting to see a Spartan with a lot more emotion. Granted, we've seen that with the rest of Blue Team minus Chief. But, you know, having this guy that's probably one of the more human Spartans. Yeah, and I, I think that helps the intuition is mm-hmm. he can read people. So when he's like... Why do they have that? Why are they acting like that way? Why are they supplying that type of ammo out there? But being the new guy is probably not wanting to offend, you know, a CO mm-hmm. that 
you're like, okay, I'll just let it sequester for now and we'll see if anything comes of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so basically all of a sudden Chief and the rest of Blue Team get passed out or they, they pass out and they awake and there's a General Howard Graves. And yeah, Graves. Yeah. And you find out this whole mission was set up to, to get them. And I like as he's doing his like monologue, he talks about the four of them. And so Chief's like the four of us. He's like, oh, shit. They don't have Kurt. And so within his kind of monologue, Kurt comes in and rescues all of them. And unfortunately within this, Graves is killed, which I, th- I think that Chief kind of notes that he's like upset that Graves is killed because he's like uh, he could he had like a lot of information kind of turn the tide of this insurrection. Yeah. To really understand that they knew about the Spartans, like they mm-hmm. knew how to do it because they also had these shock collars mm-hmm. that rendered the armor useless so you're yeah. just you're just weighted down by like a ton of armor mm-hmm. and you can't do anything so basically yeah. they were at his whim so he's like yeah i really wanted to pull some info and really figure out how did he know these things and who's yeah. spilling the beans on our missions yeah but unfortunately he died within all of that so blue team makes a heroic escape from this as they always do and i like that Master Chief instantly says, the next time you have one of these intuitions, like, tell me. Because mm-hmm. now he's like, okay, this wasn't just some crazy thing. Like, you have an insight to this somehow. And one of my favorite quotes, which we'll hear again, maybe, possibly, she says to Kurt, welcome to Blue, Spartan. We're going to make a great team. Mm-hmm. Because looking back, Blue had always been this tight-knit unit. Mm-hmm. And Kurt was still kind of an outsider to them. And they kind of mentioned that, that he... He's fitting in, but he's the new guy. Yeah, he's he, he's kind of like that cool new guy that once he's with this like niche group, he's not the cool guy. So yeah, and, now and, he's the cool guy. Yeah, and they show like you know you did what we couldn't do. Like you, you understood something, and you were the one to save us. Like you're definitely family. Yeah, well, exactly because I think of like if they didn't have Kurt to have realized all of that, like what would have happened to them? Yeah, I mean honestly, if if it went the way it was. They probably would have all either been dead or, you know, taken prisoner or whatever mm-hmm. with that collar on. They can't do anything. Yeah, they can't do shit. So then the narrative moves on. And so now we see uh, Ackerson. And I kind of like this because he's at, you know, the Office of Naval Intelligence. Mm-hmm. We meet Rear Admiral Rich, Captain Gibson, and Vice Admiral Perrin Gosky. And so I kind of like this because we've always seen Ackerson as this higher up, this evil kind of guy. But then we kind of start seeing a vulnerable Ackerson Mm because he comes in and he's like kind of like almost you can see you can feel the intimidation that like off these three people so he decides listen I want to talk about the Spartans and they're instantly like we're not going to stop the Spartan new program he's Mm -hmm. like no but check this out they're expensive as hell but they're useful so how about we produce a lot more but a lot cheaper and so I think it's crazy to think that basically everyone else is on board with it and and the best part is like they're going to make them disposable and this so this is a secret within an organization full of secrets because they have to note keep this away from halsey like yeah because they even i think they mentioned at one point like if it wasn't for her success in this war we would have like forced her to retire years ago mm-hmm. but like we can't have halsey know about this because she has so much sympathy with the Spartans already. So... Because this is a subsection of Oni. It's subsection three, right? Yeah. It's subsection within subsection. It's like the subsection of the CIA. Exactly. So it's crazy to think of all these secrets, but these are the, these are the heads of Oni. Like, these are the big bad. Ackerson also says that he needs a Spartan. 
So, you know, and they're, they're like, yeah, that actually kind of makes sense. So thus it's kind of established like, OK, uh, another thing going back a little bit is that they talk about how this needs to be a secret. The Spartan mm-hmm. 2 program was made public that way to boost morale. But this kid like we can't let people know that we're sending people on purpose to their death. Well, and, and it being the reason why it's allowed to be cheaper and they want to produce more units is they're lifting a lot of those guidelines they had. For the original Spartan program. Uh-huh. Yeah, because they're, they're looking as well. They're not kidnapping children. They're going to look for orphans. Looking for orphans. They're not flash cloning, which apparently is very expensive. So mm-hmm. they're not doing that. They're not dealing with any of that. And they're basically like, if they can fight, grab them. Yeah, essentially. Like, they still have some requirements, but at the end of the day, like, it's they're looking for orphans. I think it's established later on. They're looking for orphans whose parents were killed by the Covenant because mm-hmm. they, they need that fire. That's going to be like a huge driver. And I believe that's a quote that he has. He's like, the one thing that, you know, makes them different than Spartan 2s is going to be they have a purpose. Mm -hmm. Like they have drive on why they're fighting this enemy, not just because they're told to, Mm -hmm. but because they have a vengeance to seek. They have like a personal vendetta. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, it's established like Ackerson says, hey, I need a Spartan. They're like, okay, we'll get you a Spartan 2. So then... About a month from then, we see Kurt on a mission with the rest of Blue Team. I don't think uh, Chief is there, though. Chief isn't. It's, it's yeah. just because I think he is out and about doing Chief things. Yep. You know, as he does, naturally. Yep. Yeah, because, well, like, something about Blue Team, for the most part, it is, like, Spart or it's uh, Fred, Linda, Kelly, John. But they kind of, like... It is, some people can come in it sometimes temporarily or some people can leave for whatever reason. So they are, you know, they find this suspicious activity at a station Delphi and they're going to look at this Shav Fujikawa translate engine. I love how they can never just refer to it as a slip space engine. Yeah. It's always got to be that full name. That's and branding, I, baby. I think you can hear the narrator sometimes like... You can just hear the defeat in his voice when he has to say it. But so he goes to check this out, and all of a sudden his thruster packs malfunction, and he just goes off into space, and he's starting to pass out. Yeah, because the the, the thought of it was that—so I think they're they're trying to ping it from space, and they figured out, oh, there's a leaking mm-hmm. engine down there. We can go patch it up, and that it apparently affected his electronics, and that's mm-hmm. that was the thought of all of this. Yeah. So then, you know, he wakes up and all of a sudden he's in a bed and he's in this this building and he has no idea what's going on. And so he's met by Ackerson and he's like, listen, Ackerson tells him like, hey, we faked your death. Like you you can no longer see those people that you are. You are officially MIA. Mm -hmm. So he says um, you are going to be training new Spartans. And I think he also says that Ackerson shakes his hand, which Kurt notes that people are like almost terrified of Spartans. Mm-hmm. So, and it's even crazier to think that Ackerson, who also hates these Spartans, kind of knows he has to work with the Spartans, or at least this one Spartan. So he shakes his hand, which Kurt finds odd. But you know, he says, "Listen, you're going to be, you know, uh, you're going to be the trainer for these new Spartans." And he uh, promotes him to lieutenant, junior grade. And he also says, "Okay, your name is Kurt." Ambrose. Yeah. Cool. Because I like because he's like, what? what's your name? He's like, your name's Kurt what? And we kind of flash back almost to Kurt's like, I. he's like, I barely remember my yeah. life before this. He's like, I have no idea. So like literally Ackerson's like, Ambrose, you're Kurt Ambrose now. Yeah. Like, and to give him that slight identity, because he basically he is the Spartan MIA. He's, mm-hmm. he's killed in action because he suffered one of the worst Spartan deaths, which is spinning away in space, as mm-hmm. we saw in, in previous books and things like that. Yeah. Fall of Reach. Yeah, fall of reach. I mean, and so now that he's like, okay, 
you're now this, uh, this is where you're from. This is, uh, you know, your, your call sign and everything. And then, you know, you, you, your old life's dead again. Mm-hmm. This is your new one. Yeah. And so that's the end of section one. Uh, so basically Kurt is the new, like the new character that we're introduced to the, the main guy for this book, I'd say. Oh, I'd say I, I, the I would main say this, this is Kurt's story. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, st- I, I love this story. We also, you know, meet Rear Admiral Rich, Captain Gibson and Vice Admiral Parangoski. Mm-hmm. Those, those three heads of Oni, you know, kind of the, the big three, the big bad three. And you can almost push them to have the same mentality in a different way as the prophets do, mm-hmm. where their goal, whether it's a holy journey or whether it's to win this war, no matter what, mm-hmm. are all along those same lines. And it's really yeah. interesting to see that alignment of it. Yeah, I, I guess I never thought about that. So, like, yeah, th- those big bad three who, you know, whatever they say go mm-hmm. and people really don't want to cross them. Yeah. And what I love when they write it, and this could just be a far fetched thing I've thought of, but they're always written in this large antechamber. Mm-hmm. Whether it be covenant or whether it be human, that you know they're always high and mighty. Yeah, and they get to say, and they basically get to dictate and control the pawns of war, which is really, really interesting. I really love that idea that that no matter covenant, human, whatever, there's always someone controlling it that has no bearing to ever be in that war, mm-hmm. but they're always kind of control the pawns and figure out what they have to do. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it before when Ackerson, when we didn't know he was trying to do something like this, mm-hmm. that he was just trying to get the Spartans defunded because he wanted to do his own thing. Yeah. And you're like, why are you trying to take away these, to put it bluntly, these objects of war that are doing really yeah. well in more of a selfish kind of noble pursuit for your own good? Yeah. But so let's move on, you know, to this section two, which is Spartan three. We see we're at a Camp Curahy on Onyx and... We're we're in a we see four hundred and uh, was it four hundred ninety seven volunteers. That's something else. Uh, the, all these kids were approached that do you want to do this and they all volunteered. Mm-hmm. We also see uh, Mendez again. Yeah, so we we get a uh, we get some Mendez action again. Yeah, and he's still as cool as ever in this story. I love his character in this older, story. Smoking his uh, Sweet Williams. Yeah, yeah, they they know he's a little older, uh, a little more aged, but overall he's back to train help train the Spartans. But mm-hmm. he's not. He's working. Under Kurt Ambrose, he's not the one on top now. Exactly, that's why they gave him the promotion was to make him a higher officer rank over Mendez, so that he can go ahead and kind of command him to do what he needs to do. Yeah, and so basically, they need only three hundred trainees. So what they do is they put them on a pel- uh, pelican, and they're like, "You have a nighttime high altitude drop from this pelican." Mm-hmm. And even Mendez is like, "What?" Yeah. Like the guy who is like the biggest dick to all of them is like, are you sure? And he's based and Kurt's like, this is like tip of the iceberg. This will be the easiest thing they do. Well, like, you have to remember, they're like five, six, seven. Yeah, yeah. They're like five. I yeah. think yeah, like five, or anywhere from like four to six, yeah. four to seven. Like these are children and, you know, they're all orphans, too. And he's like, you know, if they're if this is the life they there's want. There's one thing orphans know. It's parachuting in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I like we, we meet uh, Shane A112 and he's kind of he's he's kind of nervous about this. And so this other kid. Robert, he pushes him off. Uh, Robert AO57. He's kind of like a taller, older kid. Yeah, he's like a year older. And because Shane, in his mind, he's watching all these people jump. Because first, first to jump is a, like a little girl, right? Yeah, it's a little girl. She's like, peace out, jumps out. <laughs> She's just and, and so Shane's like, I can do this. I can do this. But then he does kind of what a lot of people do when you're afraid of heights. You get to it and you go, whoa. 
body. You, you get that feeling in your stomach and you just like, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a feeling really can't be described. No. And so obviously uh, for, you know, a five-year-old with mm-hmm. this. And so, yeah, Shane pushes him. He's like, go. And so pushes him, throws him out of the night. Yeah, which is crazy. And they, they do, he, they, they both hit the ground and... Shane actually noticed with a parachute though. With they, a, they, they both yes, land. Yes, they, they, they don't they smack land. the ground <laughs> and the story ends. No, they they do have a they they all have a parachute. And I think Shane notices like he, like there's blood coming down his leg. Yeah, because he did a little bit of a hard landing because he he tried to uh, figure out where his pull cord was, his rip cord, mm-hmm. and he finally got it. But then he did. If you guys have ever seen any parachute land a little hard, if you land on your feet, you like crumple your knees up into your body. Mm-hmm. So like he said, that happened and it could have possibly been, you know, an injury along his side or something like that. Yeah. And so the next thing you know, Robert, who pushed him off, I, I guess it really isn't as mean as you think. So he, he like walks up to introduce himself. Uh, he puts out his hand to shake it. And so then Shane just decks him yeah. and they just get in a fight. And so Ambrose and Mendez break it up. But something they note instantly is like, um, they just did this and they're already like fighting and they're yeah. like, this is very good because I can only imagine how I would feel. I'd, pr- I'd probably be drained after that. But the fact that like, okay, they just did this high altitude jump, which is probably something no child should ever have to do. And now they're in a fist fight. Like, that's what we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is going to go back just a little bit as I thought of this detail. One of the big things and the reason why they're trying to just get these big classes out there right away is... You had Ackerson promise this first unit, what, 300? Then we'll have 3,000. Then we'll have 30,000. Oh, you know, yeah, we'll, keep, yeah. we'll keep training and training, and we'll eventually have you know hundreds of thousands of Spartans within mm-hmm. so many years to be able to fight this battle. So that's why a lot of this, the stringencies on selection was pulled mm-hmm. and why he's like, this has to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then we kind of move a few years later. And so Kurt is at the UNSC point of no return and he's briefed on uh, Alpha Company's performance. And basically it's kind of kind of, again, another sad story we see is that there was an Operation Prometheus. Mm-hmm. And so the mission was a success, but it was at the cost of everyone. Yeah. So all 300 are dead. And so it's like Kurt's really kind of upset about this whole thing. And we're we're in the room with all the rest of those uh, big three. And for for a slight second, we see some empathy from Perengoski. Something they know is that for just like a sentence, she says, you know, listen, this this was like a tragedy. But then she snaps back to being evil and is like, but we do it again. Yeah. And I, I even like that at one point they're showing kind of video of all of this. And you can, like, uh, Ambrose can tell, or not Ambrose, uh, Mendez can tell that, like, this is upsetting Ambrose, so eventually he turns it off. And, mm-hmm. like, you can see someone is upset about that, but, you know, Mendez is upset, too, but he's he's really trying to, like, hide his emotions, and Kurt even says that he does it well. But it's just crazy to think that, like, we're seeing all these, these children die at this mission. Well, especially Kurt, uh, Ambrose, being that per- the people person... And him being like, this happened under my watch. These are my trainees mm-hmm. who are t- uh, you know, losing their lives out there. And for what? Mm-hmm. So you kind of see him, I wouldn't say like a moral dilemma yet, but he's it's, it's that kind of pride. And as a Spartan, like I'm letting my team down. Yeah, because he says this whole thing was his fault. Mm-hmm. He's like, I should have, even though the point of all these missions are suicide missions, he's like, no, they should have survived because I trained them. Like, exactly. Mendes and I trained them. So he pushes for upgrades to their armor. Mm-hmm. That's one thing he really wants. 
So after seeing everything that happened with Alpha Company, we kind of get this flashback to Beta Company's training. And they're, they're training right now because they know that some candidates are going to get cut. And so it's it's ring the bell, kind of like that callback in uh, The Fall of Reach. Yeah, it's, it's that same type of setup where you and your team you know, have to get there as a team, which I assume this implied because that's what it was in The Fall mm-hmm. of Reach to kind of build that team building. But you have to get to ring that bell. And then obviously the slowest are candidates who don't make it are the ones who are cut from the Spartan program. Yeah. And what's interesting is it's uh, it's we see Tom and Lucy mm-hmm. and two other Spartan threes with them. And it's kind of crazy to see the relationship because at one point I think like Lucy stands up and Tom like slams her down and punches her in the stomach. And then they get in a fight just over what decisions they should be making. Yeah. So the premise of this exercise is you have uh, kind of like they did in one of the combat missions with Fall of Reach as well, where you have like Marines and some ODSTs that were there guarding Mm -hmm. the Pelican drop. This one, they have basically these Spartan washouts and a couple other members that have stun rounds that are trying to take the members of Beta Company out while they try and ring that bell. Yeah, and there's been kind of like, you know, this personal vendetta at one point. Companies have gone and disappeared, and they were last seen with these washouts. So they're definitely kind of very terrified of them. But eventually they do ring the bell, and then they they decide, okay, we did this early enough that whenever the other companies get here, it's payback time. So they basically spend the next few hours just fucking with these washouts and these Marines. And eventually Mendez and Kurt finally put an end to it. And I think they're worried that, that even like Mendez is going to shoot them because he, he seems pissed, but Kurt kneels over to Tom and says like, good work. Yeah. Cause it's insane because they, they went in with really nothing kind, kind of the yeah. same way to find your own weaponry. And so they disabled these turrets and were using those and then found some like flashbangs and found uh-huh. this other stuff on them. And, yeah, so it's just a fantastic scene, but it also shows that brutality mm-hmm. of candidates, where like they talked about the behavioral issues. Mm-hmm. So stuff like this is just really involved, where it's not part of their mission, but they'll do it because it's more of a vendetta and payback, revenge. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that's what they say. It's pay- it's payback time. And so then we also learn that regardless of these upgrades, uh, they go back to Operation Torpedo that we learned about at the beginning of the book, and everyone's assumed dead once again. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of expanded upon a little bit that you know, well, now we have to train Gamma Company, that third company, and this is when you know Kurt finds out. Okay, Tom and Lucy survived, and originally I think it was Ackerson wanted at least lucy locked up because yeah, it's like it, she's 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 just mentally checked out yeah he basically wanted to what i assume is put her in the mental institute of O and I. what i assume is to keep her away from stuff but also experiment yeah. on her but then kurt was like no i want both of them under me now yeah like i need them to help me train more spartans mm-hmm. so now we have three spartans and mendez training gamma company so it kind of jumps ahead a little bit and that's the thing uh kind of a little bit of a dislike that alex and i talked about before we started recording this is eric does like to jump around within this book that where it's sometimes like within a sentence or two we're yeah. now 20 years ahead or we're five years back so and i thought about this when i was reading it as well this all of nyland's books can adapt to screen right away yeah. Because they're already written in that sense of jumping to here, jumping to there, jumping mm-hmm. back to there. We're on a visual sense, understandable. Mm-hmm. Audio or reading sense, a little different. Yeah. 
So now we are at Gamma Company, where we're seeing them at the same part of their training whenever Chief and the rest of the original Spartan 2s were going through their biometric and kind of chemical-induced training. Mm-hmm. When they're getting all their, like, pump of drugs to get the steel bones. Call back to the scenes in uh, Fall of Reach. Exactly. And so they're all undergoing this, but one of the big things that Kurt checks out are there's, there's two extra vials. Two or three, right? Yes, two or three, because uh-huh, they, yeah. they talk about the—yes, the, the yes, three, because two of them interact with each other. Mm-hmm. But we just noticed that Kurt's looking at them. He's kind of eyeballing it. Doesn't someone come in and, like, enter, like a doctor comes in and kind of like, need help? And he's like, nope. And yeah. he just, like, dips real quick. Yeah, so it's, it seems like something sketchy's going on because he just closes it up real quick, dip sets out, suggest the term, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, leaves. And he's like, no, nah, I don't need any help. And then we discover through some talk with Ackerson that things are going great, all this stuff. And then there's an AI Deep Winter. Yeah, D- Deep Winter helped train a lot of these Spartans. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he gets – doesn't Deep Winter send a message? And this is where it kind of gets weird in sci-fi. He sends a message to Kurt through Slip Space, and it goes into a lot of detail on how that works. Yeah. So Okay, so what happens is – is that so we go through this process, the drugs are done, boom, we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Kurt then meets with like a top general who has this kind on of on the s- ship. On the ship, who has like this slip space orb. Mm-hmm. It's like this thing that can transmit itself through slip space without having to decelerate. And yeah, it was kind of interesting to see. And so through that, we see that Deep Winter sends Kurt an encrypted message. And it's uh, an encrypted log that's talking about all the chemicals that were induced into these children. And he said there's three anomalies that are different than the original mm-hmm. cocktail. And one, he reads out, it basically causes them to, I would say it's it's the best way to think about whenever you knock a brute's armor off and they go feral, mm-hmm. it's kind of like that. They don't feel any pain. They don't yeah. feel any stress. It's, and they, the they, adrenaline just goes through the roof, right? Yeah, yeah. They get a spike of adrenaline where they can never pass out from pain. They just mm-hmm. fight through the pain. And But the side effect of that is they'll have mental deterioration. Yeah. And they'll just go insane. Yeah, and they said they need to continually give them this kind of drug so that yeah, way. So there's a second drug that uh-huh. basically helps counteract that. Yeah. And then there's a third one. I forget what it does, but it's another thing that basically deals with like heightened mental sense. So you can see mm-hmm. a little bit better in the dark and you can have just quicker reaction time. Yeah. And even within the eyes of Oni, all three of these are like big no nos. Yeah. Cause Which is crazy to think. When Oni's like, we shouldn't do that, it's like, we actually probably shouldn't. Because we learn. So he's like, oh, Deep Winter, thank you so much for the information. And mm-hmm. immediately he's like, we need to get rid of Deep Winter. Yeah, and, and you <laughs> to realize, Ackerson, yeah. Yeah, and you realize that Kurt was the one who subscribed this cocktail. Yeah, at first we think that it's like Kurt discovering this, but mm-hmm. it's actually, and he's doing this because he's like, I, I can't lose them. Yeah. Like, and so he's trying to do everything he can, which it's crazy to think that Deep Winter's a, a smart AI, if I'm correct, and Kurt even notices, like, you, you really care about them, and he's like, I, I do, I, I've cared about all of these Spartans, yeah. like this... Because Deep Winter didn't know that Kurt did it. He's like, you need to investigate this. This is yeah, not good. Deep Winter genuinely cared, just as like all the other smart AIs they had that helped train, like really mm-hmm. cared about the students and really cared about everyone yeah. there. But realizing that, you know, Kurt even kept it from the smart AI that he was mm-hmm. doing all this. Yeah, it, it's just kind of like that funny moment. He's like, okay, push a stop, and then turns around. <laughs> and it's like, we need to get rid of this guy right yep. now. <laughs> and so whenever they, they get done with the deep winter issue kurt sees that all of his spartans had survived the augmentation process which is kind of like a first and so he's really 
thrilled and proud of them. He even said before, I forget which Spartan it was, but, you know, he came up to said, like, listen, if I don't make this, I wouldn't have changed anything. And he says, you're all going to make this. And sure enough, they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we saw from the other experience, also fall over each, from losing a number of the Spartans from that experiment, from the experiment that I guess the cocktail itself is perfected in the way that it's administered or whatever they're putting into them, Mm -hmm. that's working. Yeah, this is kind of like four times the charm. So I'm assuming Mm -hmm. at this point they should kind of have it down. So yeah, that was uh, section two. We get introduced to Shane and Robert, who, you know, have since perished from Alpha Company. And as well as we we had saw Deep Winter within Mm -hmm. this, uh, I know we didn't really bring him up, but it's crazy to think that like, okay, we kind of start to get to know these characters and this is going to, spoiler alert, happen within the book. Characters that you're going to start to like get taken away pretty quickly. Um, And I think I kind of like that about Nyland's writing is that he really wants to evoke some kind of emotion within you reading his stories and it's always worked it really does and if you go back i don't remember which piece of media it's in but they talk about that right now they need every ai they can get Mm -hmm. they have just a finite amount because they can't keep producing them fast enough to get them out to the ships get them Mm -hmm. out because with keys whenever keys had to get his own ship he was able to pilot without an ai yeah so we're seeing that oni just is like not get rid of him well well he's also at the end of his seven year tenure right he, yeah, he, he says he, he's like, I'm, I'm basically done. Like, this is my dying message. Yeah. Save these kids. And it's just kind of now we see this morality pop up of like, shit, like, what do I do? Yeah. Well, especially if an AI knows the right path of it and a human mm-hmm. is like, nah, it's all good. Yeah. So but within this this section, we saw the creation of two different Spartan companies, all but two have died. So roughly six or seven or eight hundred Spartans have all perished, Spartan threes. Yeah, at least that. And then because, yeah, you've had at least 300 in the first, at least 300 in the second class. Yeah. Because you that during that meeting with uh, Margaret Perangowski, you know, she even brought up, she's like, okay, I thought you said by this time, you know, we're going to have X number of Spartans going mm-hmm. and we're just losing all of them. Like, where is this going to start to triple, double? Yeah. You know? Well, they talked about, okay, let's kind of loosen up some of the requirements, mm-hmm. which instantly, like, Kurt's like, no, do not do that. Especially behavioral and, mm-hmm. and a couple other things that would just really put everyone else in peril because yeah. then it's not, you know, it's anger-based, not team-based. Yeah. So moving forward, uh, we're now on Section 3, Intruders, and it starts uh, October 31st. 2552. So, yeah, I think I kind of like the idea of, you know, I think Eric kind of knew when this was going to be released or projected, or maybe this was a last minute edit, but I think this was intentional. There's no way this is a coincidence, but we're starting to see uh, Gamma Company and they're doing this exercise and we're seeing uh, Team Sabre. Katana and Gladius. And I like that there's, I can't remember the objective. They're competing for top honors. Yeah, and it's something that they've been talking about. They've been working on for the past a few weeks or a few months, I think. So this was definitely like a tense moment, regardless of everything that's about to happen. And to go back just a little further, he did that because uh, whenever Kurt, they basically gave Onyx to Kurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mendez was like, make a training ground. So, yeah. so he basically did the same thing that he had as a kid, but, mm-hmm. you know, souped it up a little bit, changed some things to push him a little harder. Yeah. But still had, as we get the callback, the same type of exercise where all of everyone's split into teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this isn't just like, oh, they're kind of pushing against each other. They, they have guns and stun rounds. And they're like, yeah. if you get hit with a stun round, your, your limb will go numb. Mm-hmm. And they said, like, if you get it in the head, regardless of wearing a helmet, you're out. 
it's crazy to think that like they're forcing the washouts of this to go against them, and they've always talked about how these washouts like it's Spies been rumored them. like have killed mm-hmm. some of former Spartans because they're near. Uh, zone 67 where they've talked about these kind of they've seen these red eyes coming from there and these quote ghosts so. yeah like yeah they saw like these red hills the hills of eyes type thing yeah what i, I like it, maybe it's just because it's the day we're starting to get this kind of creepy ominous feeling and to kind of give you a synopsis of, of what's all going on we we, we follow team saber that's that's our main team we're going to follow throughout out this and mm-hmm. uh, katana and gladius on their own doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of like our blue team, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. And so they're in the training ground. They've got their rifles. They've got their stun rounds. We are introduced to Ash, G099, Holly, G003, Olivia, G291, Mark, G313, and Dante, G188, all mm-hmm. part of Saber. And so they're going through, and they realize, okay, they... We thought that the sniper would have taken us out. That's why we took this route, but we see it's a mm-hmm. double trap. Yeah, I, I like that one point. It's like they they would they not only planned for this r- route, but they planned for uh, an escape route. Like mm-hmm. if we attack them, this is how they're going to try to escape. So it's crazy to see like this military mentality coming from all of this. Yeah, that they already kind of knew that, and mm-hmm. and then they they start to hear these explosions. You know, out and about, and like yeah, that wasn't. I don't think that was a grenade. I don't think that was. It's that was bigger. That was a bigger explosion. Yeah. And then it starts to get louder and bigger. And they start to think, like, are we under attack? Is the Covenant here? Yeah, well, because they, they, they complete the mission, but then they're like, well, there's got to be something else to this. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't the fact that they were that good. They're instantly just like, there's got to be something else to this. Like, Yeah, and, and they think, well, is this another training exercise? Mm-hmm. Are they actually going to start, like, deploying archer missiles on us? Because yeah. that's what they thought, too. They're like, is it archer missiles? Is it local? Is it not? Mm-hmm. And so they, they kind of all went into a panic and tizzy. And so we, we then have, you know, this huge explosion that takes out, like, a whole mesa, basically. So then yeah. we have Team Saber run into this cave area and hide it out and try to figure out what's going on. And we finally first see the description of what a sentinel is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone... I love it that Nylon does this. You know, you know if you, when you read the book... You'll see, no matter if it's these kids, if it's elites, if it's higher up in the UNSC, or if it's a shipmate, they all describe the Sentinel similarly, but different. Oh, it, I never noticed that. Yeah, it, it's because they always mention like the three like panels. Yeah, the, the arms, arms yeah. That, that are along it with its red eye. Mm-hmm. And, and each section of covenant, human, whatever, it's all described as the same, like three arms and an eye. But if you go back, it's cool how the covenant's like very alien tech with it mm-hmm. how the kids are just very rudimentary and like it's got three floaty arms and a red eye and just talking about all those things through which is really really cool uh-huh. so anyway i digress so the kids are hiding out in there and they realize that the sentinel beam can heat up and fire and so they're trying to uh-huh. use their stealth suits to get around and they start to run and they just they they have to go dips it they they're, dip, gone. They, they're gone. They, as Jesse would say, they dip set. Copyright. And they go, and, and they're running along, and you see Ash and his units try and get out of there because a lot of them are dealing with Team Katana, who made this invisible bunker on top of this hill. Anyway, the battle is raging out. They're trying to get away. Biggest thing to take away from this is that, so the Sentinel starts to follow them and tries to take down Holly, and they soon learn... Obviously, they only have stun rounds, but also that it just pings off and doesn't do anything to them at all. They discover it's like overshields, right? Yeah, they have overshields. So what Ash decides is, I'll chuck a rock at it. 
Mm-hmm. I think someone made a joke about this in our Discord. Yeah, it's a callback to that's yeah. that's how Spartans learn. That's their first technical weapon. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so he launches it and it hits it. He notices that it kind of scuffs it and mm-hmm. it gets kind of pissed off at him and it turns around and chases him down. And so he's running, running, finally gets pinned down by it and he just starts talking. He's like, "Why are you doing this?" And then some garbled language comes through and he's yeah. like, "I did. I recognize that word. That's Latin. But yeah. why are you here? Like, what's going on? I mean, you no harm." And you you start to learn that the Sentinels have an understanding of language. You can figure out a translation to like, yeah, because it starts to talk to them. Yeah, it starts to talk, and it's basically like you know, uh, it, and it goes back to the talk with Halo One with three four three Guilty Spark of Chief being a reclaimer. Uh huh. Yeah, it brings up reclaimers, and, it, and it's like uh, you know we're looking for the reclaimer. You are not it. So defense protocol is an active is activated. Yeah, and so it, it starts to charge up its laser, and it's getting ready to take him out. But then everyone else realizes its weakness as well, so they all pelt it and and destroy it with rocks. Yeah. Very primal but effective way to get rid of these sentinels. Yeah. For now. Yeah, because they realize you know like. Because as Spartans do, you adapt to what you can figure out, mm-hmm. and they realize that works. Because we learn that their overshields block high-velocity projectiles, uh-huh. but if it's slow enough, the shield doesn't activate. Yeah, a bullet versus a rock, it's going to make, you know, and granted from a Spartan who's been trained for this, it's it's going to it's gonna hurt enough to take it out eventually. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was Section 3, Intruders. And we meet Gamma Company. So yes, we've got, we've got, as I said before, we've got Ash, Holly, Olivia, Mark, and Dante, who are big, big characters mm-hmm. that we're going to learn that really, uh, you know, play up in this story. Story, I mean, Kurt's story, as we want to call yeah. it. Yeah, Kurt's story. And this is where we first come in contact with Sentinels outside of Chief's story. Yeah, because, you know, it, it even like, I guess, within the first time of the the media outside of anything revolving around the games themselves. Because, you know, we see them in the flood, mm-hmm. but those are more just the retelling of Combat Evolved. Well, exactly. And that's just Chief and that small amount of marine companies that seize it but you have to figure at like the same time we're having all these stories happening almost simultaneously mm-hmm. yeah we're gonna see there's a lot more events happening yeah and and so it's really and that goes back to i love that each party describes them differently because they didn't get the intel from halo yet mm-hmm. you know they didn't have cortana to relay everything about it because yeah. halsey wasn't there there was no one who was part of that story arc so it's really cool that we get to see that and i think one of my favorite phrases from one of the sentinels he was talking to ash mm-hmm. was you need to listen to some more stuff you know what you should do to listen to more stuff what should he listen to you should probably get a free uh, audiobook from audible sentinel said that sentinel said that's crazy yeah so today's episode is brought to you by audible audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership just go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs and download a title free and start listening it's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight to get started today. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers. You know we've been pushing Audible a bunch. Jesse and I have fully converted to it and just mm-hmm. do most everything with this uh, because it allows us to take notes. It allows us to go through the book and definitely recommend Ghost of Onyx. Like it's, yep. it's one of the first stories that we actually get to see outside of the chief. Yeah. He's only mentioned that little tidbit and yeah. the rest of it is just really awesome. So definitely recommend it to download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash finish the fight. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash finish the fight for your free audiobook. 
Thank you, Audible, for sponsoring today's podcast. Now we're at Section 4, Dr. Catherine Halsey, and we see uh, Halsey's on this this stolen rebel ship, and Kelly's still knocked out. This is definitely now continuing from where we left off with Halsey's story from First Strike. Mm -hmm. So definitely I like Nyland really going off of these kind of multiple loose ends that he created at the end of First Strike. And so they're... They made their way to Onyx. They're by Onyx, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so Halsey, if you remember in the previous book, she went ahead and got that message from Ackerson that she stole that got, like, the mm-hmm. info about Spartans and this planet Onyx. Yeah. And that's the reason why we're seeing now is why she left them previously. Yeah, and that's why we kind of appear at Onyx, and she's trying to figure... She's still trying to figure all of this out. And so as she's making her way towards the planet, all hell breaks loose, and the the Sentinels we see aren't just worrying about the ground. They're also worrying about what's going on not only in the air, but in space, too. And we start to see the numbers. It's yeah. not just a couple of them that are on this planet. We start to see there's tens, there's twenties, there's hundreds. Like, we start to see the mass of them each time we get reintroduced. Mm-hmm. So a number of them come out to meet Halsey, and, you know, this is kind of... She wakes up Kelly. She's like, she's like I, I kind of need a Spartan for this, Yeah, I, I kind of need some help. And she realizes that you know, there's not much she can do. The Shah Fujikawa that they had is leaking. Yeah, it's it's useless. So as these drones attack, they realize with the damage engine that all they have is their auxiliary stuff they can really use. Uh-huh. And so Halsey puts it on this crash course to kind of do a slingshot into the planet. Yeah. And Kelly realizes that, you know, Halsey doesn't have a pressure suit and Halsey's trying to do all this stuff and starting to pass out. And But Halsey's still able to use her hands and like all this other crazy stuff. It's a really neat scene. Mm-hmm. And Kelly admires her because she sees blood trickling down her. And she's like, she's still alive. And, you know, she's a badass woman. Mm-hmm. And so with this slingshot, they're able to go in, avoid being decimated by the drones. And they crash land. Yeah. And Halsey's passed out at this point, right? Yeah. She's already yeah. passed out from that from that drop and, and all mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, as Kelly's trying to assess what's going on, she's making her way through. All of a sudden, she she suspects something or someone watching her. Mm-hmm. And so she attacks whoever this is. And they they kind of disappear, and she's very confused. She's like, because I think what she she grabs their arm and pulls them, and she's like, if this was a regular person, like their arm would be out of their socket or something. Yeah, she's basically she throws them, and uh, she's like, yeah, if that was a regular person, they would have been basically torn in two. Yeah, so she's instantly kind of really confused about this, but then we hear Kurt. You know, she hears Kurt's voice. That's like, no time, Kelly. Like, get out of there. And she's instantly like, like she hears his voice, and like it's like one of those. She's like taken aback. She's like, "Whoa, wait a second! I know that voice." And so they eventually meet up with Saber Team Kurt and Chief Mendez. And so it's it's like crazy. Like we see this reunion because it was like twenty years prior that they mm-hmm. thought Kurt had died, and so now it's like everything's coming back. Like, oh my god, you're you're actually alive. Which I can't. I've never been in this situation, but I can only imagine like getting attached to someone and thinking they're dead and then just years later meeting back up with them yeah because yeah because she sees mendez and gets that recognition like oh like you're here that's awesome like, i haven't seen you forever and then she you know hears kurt's voice and he's cloaked mm-hmm. and then like comes out and they show and it's really really cool it's just a really cool reunion piece heartwarming it, it is heartwarming it is and, and they talk about like, you know, like we don't have time for this but you know like hey let's go yeah so yeah eventually then uh, uh halsey does come to and it, again, once again, we see this thing where she guesses that it's Kurt because uh, she she starts naming off Spartans whose bodies haven't been found. And she's like, you're Kurt, aren't you? 
and he's uh, he's impressed by the fact that you know he's in this completely different armor but she can just tell who he is yeah that's one of the coolest things is she's like looking him up and down like i know all of my spartans mm-hmm. there's only three that are actually missing in action one i know is dead mm-hmm. so it's either you know you or this other one it's definitely you, Kurt. Yeah, it's definitely you. Halsey then eventually, she's like, okay, well, I like is that everyone keeps calling what's going on drones, and she keeps saying they're sentinels. They're sentinels. So she's correcting everyone. Like, Yeah, she's, she's like, I was there. I know what they are. Yeah, these are sentinels. And so she then sends a transmission back to Earth, and she's like, hey, come to Onyx. We're kind of screwed right now. We need all the reinforcements you can send. And so this message gets to Earth right around the events of Halo 2. Mm -hmm. So now we're starting to see all of this link up. Okay, so after this message is sent, and after we get the little reunion piece, this is where Nyland shifts over, and now we are on the Covenant side of the book, or kind of getting the Covenant point of view. This is like the first time within the book we're getting that narrative, right? Exactly. And so we are on the ship, the Incorruptible. And so the Incorruptible's commander, Shipmaster Tano Enaruri, is murdered due to the fact that he was overcome by religious fervor and order the ship to be infected by the flood because he was one that truly followed the covenant and was like, hey, this is these are holy beings. I want to be, you know, I want to go to the great beyond. And if this is what the prophets will, this is the way to get there. Yeah, well, we start to like see that the covenant during the great schism, it wasn't like the elites just drew back and were like, okay, we're done with this religion thing. Like there were so many factions that we mm-hmm. learned later on throughout the lore that was split off. And that there are still some elites and covenant members who are like, we're done with a prophet's version of this, but we're still going to believe in this. And that's who we kind of start seeing throughout the rest of this uh, story. Yeah, because this is the first time in print, I believe, we're starting to really see the Great Schism take effect. Uh-huh, yeah. And so we realize that Voro na Montecri, he murdered Tano due to this. And so I like that it was one of those things he did this in front of like everyone on the deck of the ship. And so there are, there are two hunter, Peruto Zita Kana and Waruno Zita Yatno, Yatno. And so they were like his guards. And so we kind of see that they really didn't do anything. Like it's like if they weren't able to protect the shipmaster, they were supposed to then kill whoever did it. But yeah, it was kind of this this weird war raging they had because the, the the chapter starts off or the section of the book starts off so cool. It's like a mobster scene. Yeah, because he basically puts this pla- or, uh, sorry needler, the back of his head just fires and just bolts a needle right through his head. Yeah, and just lets the blood spill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they and everyone on the the ship kind of realizes like. He he was basically gone, and so they make Montecri the shipmaster, mm-hmm. and so now he's the shipmaster of the Incorruptible, and uh, he tells one of the grunts on there, clean up, like, take the body out, and one of them starts to clean up the blood, and he says, no, leave the blood here, like, his blood needs to be here, which I like is also he... he does talk about some kind of like regret because this is someone who who he looked up to and it, he's just like this sucks but his his blood needs to be here for us to remember like what happened here. yeah i think it was it was kind of a double-edged sword for him because you're right i think he needed that remembrance and to uh-huh. kind of have his old shipmaster and mentor here with them but also to realize like this is what i've done and this is what this war and this religious zealot zealotry 
is mm-hmm. causing. Yeah. And so then we start to see like, oh, shit, there are some Covenant ships starting to attack us. Now we're starting to see the, the schism start to come in full effect. And during this, uh, all of a sudden, a third party comes in and it's flood infected ships come in. So now we see kind of this stalemate of like, okay, let's stop and fight off the flood because they'll just kill us all. And then we're going to take out the flood and then go back to fighting each other. Well, that, so so going back a little bit with the Tenebris and the Twilight Compunction, which were the brute ships. Mm-hmm. So it's a really cool naval battle. They're starting out. And then, yeah, you're right. Out of slip space, you're like, who's that? And like, then, whoa, hold up. Who, who is that? Yeah. And you realize that there's transmission coming through. Like, they're on here. Like, please, please don't let them convert me. Don't make them change me. And yeah. then the transmission cuts. So everyone who's starting to fight from both the brutes and the elite side, all the ships start to turn. Uh-huh. And that ship, which I thought was really cool, and he talks about the nobility and honor of it, they lower their shields. Mm-hmm. And then they just, the shipmaster says, everyone, give me access to your weapons. Because I guess with being a shipmaster on one of the pilot ships, you can control all the weaponry mm-hmm. and fire rates. So he does that, decimates that first ship, realizes that ship over there, that one was probably too close. That one might have f- flood spores get to it, mm-hmm. and we have to do it. And so they lower their shields as well, and they understand what has to happen, and that ship gets decimated as well. So it's kind of this, like you said, it's not a bonding moment, but survivability moment where they're yeah. like, hold on, guys. You know, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. Uh, so it was really interesting. But then, like you said, as soon as that threat's dealt with, they're like, all right, back at it. Back at it. But then Monacry says, like, let's uh, let's get out of here. Like, this fight's going on. Let's just jump into slip space because we are going to die. And mm-hmm. I think we should be able to do more because it's one of those times, you know, it's like, oh, the elites fight into the death. You know, they never back out. But Monacry's like, uh-uh, uh, not me because I know I'm going to die. Like, I can do something better elsewhere. So they get the fuck out of there. And at that same time that we see this happen and that, the, that slip space happens, mm-hmm. we then go to the brute point of view on the Twilight Compunction. Is this the first time we're seeing things from a brute point of view a little bit earlier we had i don't know maybe a page or two that was on the twilight compunction okay. just to get an idea of who the crew was yeah but we're not we didn't really see much after that until now yeah when all the ships got together because basically the twilight compunction jumped in to all of this mm-hmm. and so the twilight compunction fires upon these two cruisers that they see which is the lawgiver and the incorruptible Mm-hmm. And so from their point of view, they fire and they realize that with two of them, like they have these maneuvers where one can go in front of the other and absorb a blast. Their shields go down. They retreat. And the other one goes in front and blocks with their shields. And so the Twilight Compunction fires. And I believe with combined fire that they have with the rest of the fleet, they go ahead and decimate uh, Lawgiver and just take it out. That's when you have the Incorruptible. It's like, hey, we did our part here. We are outnumbered now. We have a, you know, like you said, a, a better mission, a better idea what we have to do. Mm-hmm. Let's get out of here. And so that's when the brute uh, on the Twilight Compunction says, as they should when presented with superior firepower, you know, even if that power was an illusion, saying, you know, it, you should leave because we are a bigger ship. But as an elite, it's really weird that you didn't stay mm-hmm. till the end because they would have realized that when that t- the Twilight Compunction also got shot by those two frigates, they were down. 
they had nothing. Weapons yeah. offline, shields were offline, but they didn't realize that. And he's like, whoop, that's a good day for us. Yeah, they kind of made it up by the skin of their teeth, mm-hmm. essentially. And so that's the end of Section 4. And uh, we're introduced to a few new Covenant characters. We got Voro Nar Montecri, Peruto Zeta Kona, Waruna Zeta Yatno, Kwasas Gargantum, Xantan Yar Watanri, Uru Losane. And a couple others which come up later in the book we'll talk about. But obviously this is the first we're getting in the book of some of the higher-ups for both the Brutes and Elites. Yeah. Uh, with, within our shipmasters. Seeing that hierarchy and whatnot. Especially for Brutes. They were actually seeing that because the only other really Brutes we saw was when Chief fought them off and stuck one, you know, stuck a grenade down his mm-hmm. pants. Yeah. So, and even in the games, like other than Tartarus, we, we're not seeing a lot of like how the culture is or military structure is with the brutes. And clearly now with this uh, schism, it's starting to change a little more. Yeah. I mean, and, and we'll see with the, the Jirahani that they do have, because in the game, it almost feels like they don't have intelligence because mm-hmm. they just go a brute form basically whenever you knock their armor off. But you yeah. do see that they are a brutish, as the name suggests race they still have hierarchy you know they still have everything that another military ristic thing would have yeah so let's move on to section five Mm -hmm. blue team and so now we're back on earth this is two weeks after the new mombasa slip space event and we are with fred will and linda yeah and we get to see them defending earth yeah it's really cool it's kind of expanding on the lore of what happened to Earth beyond those two missions we played in Halo 2? Yeah, because there's one part where they go to the bottom of the sea. There's a part where they go to Antarctica to like mm-hmm. fight a Covenant drilling team. And a lot of it they're talking about, it's not necessarily to re- repel the invaders. It's to basically push them out, which they do repel, but to stop them long enough so they don't find what they need to find. Yeah. Because as we've seen, once they get a thing they need, they just glass a planet. Yeah, so they're just like, eh, if you're looking for something here, let's just just completely fault that. And it's we have yet to like see the arc yet. We only know about it, so mm-hmm. like clearly that's what they're kind of looking for. Yeah, and and, the, and obviously, if the humans are on Earth, and if that's their holy home planet in a way, why not look there? Mm-hmm. So so what what are they doing once we get to the narrative here? So after our little montage of heroics, yeah. as the book book says it, we now see all of them in Havana, in Cuba. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they're there is one of the only space elevators left is there. It's, it's an old, I don't want to say rickety one, but basically the way to describe it is it's one that has seen some use, mm-hmm. is in need of repair, but it'll still allow them to bring supplies up in out of orbit as opposed to the covenant being able to beam stuff down yeah so the team drops in and they realize that already you know there's brutes there yeah and well i think fred even mentions at one point he's like because they see a lot of them they're like hand to hand like we can't do this because chief couldn't take out one yeah exactly and so we have linda eye up two brutes two shots i love description both through their right eye and also blowing off half their ugly face yeah. And, and so she starts it. So they, they all give the odd clear, and Fred starts going in and scouting around. He's like, I don't really see anything. So he runs around a corner, immediately bumps into a brute. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, doesn't he say he, like, worries that, like, his uh, his suit is malfunctioning due to, like, yeah. some salt water or something backed so, up so, in it? So, yeah. So basically, having been in all those missions that were 
you know, not having time to clean his suit or do anything, mm-hmm. he's like, why wasn't that on the radar? And he's uh-huh. panicking. So he fights the brood off, kills it. And then he cleans off. He always has like salt crusted on it from the salt water. Yeah. And he cleans off his motion sensor. And as soon as he does that, there's like six blips running towards him. Yeah. Like that would be like absolutely terrifying yeah it doesn't then like he starts fighting him off and linda also helps fight off more within that yeah so so he starts running starts fighting him off they realize we have to get to that elevator Mm -hmm. and they start running towards the elevator and as they as he gets there he took a brute shot from a down brute and sees that these brutes are getting elevated and the door's closing so i love this he just fires a couple grenades in lets those go off and he dives in sideways with the doors scraping his armor and he lands and the brutes were kind of stunned from the grenades, but also that this one Spartan would just take them on hand to hand. Yeah. So he opens up, shoots one in his mouth as he's like yelling at him. Oh yeah, because then it like describes like it, like the brute keeps going for a second and then just stops. Yeah, it just stops. So it's like kind of that adrenaline rush, and then it's like setting in like, oh, this brute is dead. Yeah, because he pumped like a, like half a clip into his, his stomach, and the mm-hmm. brute was like, no big deal. And then like he opens his mouth to yell and charge, and he pumps the other half of the clip through him. He's like, mm-hmm. one, two, dead. And then the last brute, because he falls on top of him. Yeah. And then the last brute in there is like, boom, hammer fists coming up. And then you hear two shots fly through the eleva- elevator. Uh-huh. And he still got his hands raised, and then he eventually just falls. Mm-hmm. And Linda sniped him through it. Everyone gets in. They take the elevator up. They lock the controls out. And they realize, because they, they, they get the message from Lord Hood, they're like, hey, you got to get out of here. You got to get over to this area. We just got this message relayed from Halsey. Uh-huh. We need to get you over to Onyx. Yeah, it's like immediately. Mm-hmm. It will, isn't the issue that it's like, that would take weeks to do? In a UNSC like, ship, because they're like, yeah. that would take weeks. We like we need to have these these slip space jumps. We need to get this charged. And then they realize in orbit is like three Covenant battleships. Yeah. Or cruisers. Yeah, and it's kind of like they talk about this is an, an absolutely impossible task. But we literally just did this last book, so why couldn't we do this now? Yeah, and, and it's always brought up. I like this. They talk about it in the book, too, when they're like, it's an impossible task. And like, oh, that's what Spartans do. Yeah, the, uh, one of the points of Spartans is to prove an impossible task is actually very much so possible. Mm-hmm. And so going back with Havana, I guess human and Earth denuclearization was happening. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, dumb nukes were there, and it was basically the warheads were there. And they realized, okay, well, they're in the elevator with them. Let's take them up. And we'll use them as bait in a trap because mm-hmm. there's there's those other Covenant ships. We need to get out of here. We need to get to slip space. But obviously, if we try and take these guys out, it's not going to work by ourselves. Yeah, no. So they take the elevator up. They fly out. They get into the ship, mm-hmm. get into one of the ships. And they make their way to a panel. And this is kind of where Fred has this inner monologue talking about how, once again, the Covenant doesn't innovate. They imitate. Yeah, yeah. And he's saying, well, if a UNSC ship had ever been captured— and they knew how they had inputted it. You know, they had hacked in. They obviously would have refitted every single ship to not get hacked in like that. Yeah. And he said, here's hoping the Covenant didn't do that. Because they have like a, they have a, a hacking data pad. Mm-hmm. And he plugs it in. And he's like, yep, got the handshake. We're good to go. Yeah. And so he then, you know, gets all these countdowns ready, tells everybody what to do. And what they're going to do is they're going to vent the ship of all oxygen and atmosphere. They're going to open up all the bulkheads and everything and basically either fly everything out into space or deprive everything of oxygen and atmosphere. Very first strike move. Exactly. And because their suits, as we learn with them being underwater, have oxygen, recycled oxygen built in. So I think they have like seven or 15 minutes, something like that, of oxygen. So they vent it all, they let it all happen, and eventually they make their way out, and they see these dead brutes around. And there's a quote like, you know, 
Bruce may be strong, but they still need oxygen. Yeah. So basically then they they capture, they're on the bloodied spirit. Yeah, they're on the bloodied spirit. And so they're like, okay, we're going to then make our way to Onyx. Like, this is the quickest way we're going to be able to do it. They they then find themselves within the Great Schism. They find themselves right in the middle of that yep. between the elites and the brutes, which I, it's just, I, I kind of like that uh, this is since Halo 2. So, like, I think that's one of the things that Bungie wanted him to push was this Great Schism, seeing this true divide between the two factions. Mm-hmm. And so after some kind of just trying to wiggle their way around, they get the hell out of there. Because I know at one point I remember... Something comes on the screen and it's a brute talking to all like the ships and he's like, okay, we're going to make our way through it. I guess he's looking at a bunch of different screens and Fred says that the brute looked at him through the screen and then says demons. Yeah, because the brute comes on because he's announcing like, guys, what's going on? It's me, brute friend. How you doing? Uh, Good pep talk. Good pep talk. And and, yeah, and then ends it because Fred's sitting there with his translation. Thing is just a uh, recording. But it's actually, you know, live view. And he's FaceTiming him. think that he could see him, too. Yeah, and then he looks right at him, you know, and he, he snarls, and then the translation's like, demons, and it cuts. And he's like, shit. He's like, oh, uh, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So they they do make their way out of there, and they do find their way on Onyx. And then, what do you know, here's the general theme of the book, is they're attacked by Sentinels once again. Yeah. Everyone is attacked by Sentinels. Doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, because because we learn as as when Ash was talking to him, they're looking for the reclaimer. Everything mm-hmm. else is an infidel or obsolete and yeah. needs to be purged. So anything coming in that's not obviously their reclaimers are like goodbye. Yeah. So then they they eventually make their way onto Onyx and they meet up with everyone. But I think it's kind of like a, a no time for a reunion. Like let's let's go. Gotta yeah. get out of here. Because one thing, well, two things happen with that. One is we learn a little earlier on, but uh, even more now, Sentinels can adapt and refit themselves with other Sentinels Yeah, they to start increase to combine their damage. Like Transformer-style shit. Yeah, and it's, and it's weird because we don't ever see that in, I don't think, any of the games. Mm-hmm. We do see those bigger Sentinels that grab yeah. your tank and just murder you. Yeah, but Enforcers. I, yeah, the Enforcers, yeah, yeah. But, but that's in and of itself its own thing. It's, it's One it's, unit. Yeah, it's not a bunch of units put together. Because we see on patrols, they start to do two inside of each other to look both ways type mm-hmm. thing this one and I, it's kind of funny because every shipmaster, everyone piloting a ship that comes in they're like what's that tiny laser even gonna do to us we got shields and then it's like okay now we're seven thousand <laughs> yeah and they they compile together so this is where you know they'd taken damage in that last battle with the brutes and mm-hmm. they try to steal the ship yeah and their Shah fujikawa are basically the coils that the covenant used for their slip space mm-hmm. is leaking out plasma yeah and so this is where they make the decision we can't turn them off but we gotta get that planet covenant ships are known for pinpoint accuracy for slip space Mm -hmm. jumps so they jump directly into on top of the planet isn't this one of those uh, another one in a million kind of chances that they do because they're because they like i don't know just putting those in putting those coordinates and hopefully this alien machine understands our math too Mm -hmm. and can put it in their math yeah well it doesn't fred kind of like make the assumption like math should be pretty universal yeah he's like i hope it is and so they they get in they're skimming trees and they crash land and then they then have basically that same type of reunion where they're like there's a bunch of things moving but we don't see them what's going on Mm -hmm. yeah and that's where it's just kind of like 
no time for exp- explanation. Like, we need to get the fuck out of here. And then that's when it's it's we move on to the end of this section. Blue team. So yeah, to, to add one thing because this is you know this is the, this is Kurt, uh, Kurt's team, and yeah. that's when Kurt's like, "What's up, guys? Got no time." But then it's really cool to be like. I thought you were dead. Yeah, again. That's like the only thing that was really said between them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that entirely. But, you know, it, it, this is a section where it's like we really don't – there's no new characters introduced. We see Fred, Linda, and Will who were all from First Strike. And so I like that they brought Will back, you know, because people had wondered – and there are a lot of theories out there what happened to him while he was on Earth, but – but yeah, so we see those main characters, Admiral Hood coming in mm-hmm. this time, the audiobook, he's not Scottish, as we saw within Halo 2, so that was a that was a good relief. He grew up. He understood he, it. he understood that, that accent was silly and he went back to his <laughs> old ways. But yeah, so those are those are the main characters that were kinda like you know, we saw Fred and Linda earlier, but now they're concrete players within Ghosts of Onyx. So now let's move on to section six, the Ghosts of Onyx. That's that moment we go, oh, they said it, they said it, Ghosts of Onyx. So now the the narration goes back to Delta Halo, where this whole Covenant Civil War is going down and the Great Schism is taking place. And so, you know, when Halsey sends out that transmission... It gets to Earth, but that doesn't mean it doesn't pass through a few channels before it does. And the elites get a hold of that. Mm-hmm. And so they're instantly we're starting to talk. You know, I talked about earlier the, that there were some factions that still held like that covenant faith. Uh, sorry to go back just a little bit too. I, I love this because we just remember stuff as we go. It's one of my favorite parts about book podcasts is the ooh, ooh, ooh moments. Yeah. So the reason why they intercepted that transmission mm-hmm. and, and kind of the um, foreshadowing of it whenever blue team took over that ship Mm -hmm. they were actually pulled out of slip space oh yeah whenever that brute transmission happened and they're like whoa we can be pulled out for this does that mean like because we heard the message in slip space does that mean our messages could be going through slip space because that's when they heard the cortana uh, thing from halsey and so that's why there's foreshadowing because fred's like Oh, can other people hear it? And then we... Spoiler alert, other people hear it. So yeah, so now all the uh, Covenant are on the joyous exaltation. And uh, this is where we see the the biggest, baddest Zanghili Imperial Admiral ever, Zianja Watanri. He gets all the shipmasters kind of together. And they're all discussing, like, what are they supposed to do now about this, along with this intercepted message this as in the uh the great schism going on yeah with with the brutes and prophets kind of leaving them out because the big thing uh, with zaitan is that he was so powerful and looked revered in the elite's eyes that he was almost worshipped like a prophet so the prophets yeah. actually banished him yeah well it was to the point that like yeah like someone would like they would listen to him over a prophet yeah yeah and so he's kind of like speaking as if he's like a prophet almost he's like saying like we're gonna get we're gonna bring this covenant our covenant together and i like that voro kind of like is like i i've heard this before from the guys we're about to fight mm-hmm. and so him and zion or zaitan they don't necessarily butt heads but you can see some tension there so zaitan s- says to voro like okay your fleet is going to go and take care of this whole onyx thing mm-hmm. basically and and voro kind of is like is he just trying to get rid of me? Because, like, clearly this is, like, an honor, but at the same time, like, this is 
a very sticky mission that he's about to get sent off to. And he says, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to win this whole thing. I have this giant armada. We're going to go. We're going to take over Onyx. We're going to figure out what's so important there. And I'm going to come back a hero. Yeah, because they realize in that transmission that there's Forerunner tech there on Onyx. And they're just like rubbing their hands together like, ooh, here we go. Because yeah. that's been one of the things that any, t- any kind of Forerunner tech, anytime the Covenant learn of Forerunner technology, they're like, we need this. It's the foundation of all of our technology and our religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as this is going on, we go to the Sublime Transcendence, and there's a grunt named Kwasas. And he sees that these these uh, engineers of Huragak are messing with this black box, kind of. And so he starts to kind of play with it, too. And he, he pulls out that, that voice box. Yeah, because him and his, his, uh, his grunt legion... Mm-hmm. best way to put it, um, are in charge of this storage facility. And it's all these human goods and things that they recovered from different battles that he's in charge of. So like he's got this really important role. So yeah, whenever the Grunts and the Hergox have this really petty hate for each other. Yeah, it's it's weird, kind of like they have to coexist, but they kind of hate to do it. Yeah, because the Hergox respect the elites, but like the Grunts, they hate. So instead mm-hmm. of, like we saw before, like them taking apart stuff to learn it and repairing it, They'll just take a print up, take apart Grunt's shit, and just, just leave it broken. Just to fuck with them. And just be like, see you later. Yeah. So, so what happens is, is he's playing with this kind of black box, and then all of a sudden, uh, an engineer comes over and just pushes him out of the way and starts messing with it because a, a voice comes out of it. And so the engineer just starts kind of messing with it, and all these other engineers are coming over because I think they're they're kind of genuinely curious about this. And then we kind of get this, not kind of, we get this message from the grave, and it's Admiral Whitcomb. And so basically it's a message saying, hey, this is my Nova bomb. You have a few seconds before you're all dead. And at this point, Quasas realizes, like, this isn't good. So he goes to run for it, and this thing takes out. It destroys a bunch of Covenant ships. It it completely destroys a moon nearby, and it just, it, it's just such, it, like they say, it's just like in the blink of an eye, everything is, is just gone. So I thought that was crazy that that all like kind of happened. And I was like, yes, Whitcomb came back for just one more badass moment because we finally got to see his bomb go off. Oh, and, and I love it because it gives me like two great things that I've loved in Halo novels so far. One, the stupid, silly antics of grunts. Because mm-hmm. like uh, they talk about a little bit earlier that... Quasas learns to like interpret human language, never learns to write it down mm-hmm. or anything because they don't want them to read or do any of that stuff, but it learns the language. And so he just loves that it, it's like this chirpy box and it's saying stuff. Oh, yeah. And... He didn't discover it. He he had been listening to yeah, it for he, a while. He was, he was listening to it and like he was listening to the battery was dying. Mm-hmm. And so that's when the engineers were like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, put it back in there. It's dying. Like, mm-hmm. then them, I think, assembling it all back together went ahead and reactivated it because what did it have? It had like 10 to the power of 10 to a nuke. Yeah. Something like it's like one of the, just the biggest things that the UNSC had. Yeah. And and it's also kind of sad because you see the, like you see the innocence of grunts. Mm -hmm. And this is really, whenever we get into conduct harvest, you'll really see it just like it it was so sad. It's like, this guy's just, it's almost like listening to like a song and now the song died. And then now he's dead. It is. And then he had a little story before this that was just like his way to work. He saw some grunts who were like, gambling and like he lost some menthane but he yeah. like gained an audio recording from earth like they, they were like collecting audio chips from earth yeah. and there were songs from earth yeah he he was literally just like a happy-go-lucky 
grunt with a pretty easy job. Yeah. And uh, probably the only time I will call the engineers dickheads, but these dickhead engineers kind of messed everything up. So, yeah, that's uh, that's basically the end of Section 6, Ghosts of Onyx. We see Zaitanja Wadenry for the first time uh, and his kind of power that he has over the current Covenant faction or the one that wants to stay with the religion. So it was pretty cool to see him introduced into this. We also see Kwasas, who unfortunately met his end at the end. Those were really the, the key players within this section and and again i liked this section because i always love the grunts being explored more within the novels because every time you learn more and more about the grunts you kind of hate to kill them more and more within the games like that kind of unfortunate double yeah it sucks sword. because i have no remorse for it and i love watching them explode but that's just me <laughs> so let's move on to the final section of this book reclaimers aka the most confusing section of this entire book it bounces around a lot, and I think some things are open to interpretation. Maybe we're just crazy and didn't pay attention, but here we go. So we start out seeing the a Covenant fleet has, has found its way to Onyx, along with this UNSC fleet. Mm-hmm. And so this battle forms away, and you have the uh, UNSC actually start to kind of outsmart the Covenant. And they basically dropped some nukes behind them, blew some ships up, and it led it down to only two ships. Mm-hmm. And we have the Prowler Dusk, which we yeah. s- we've seen a couple times in the book. It wasn't really described, but basically they're the spy ship that has kind of seen what's been happening. Yeah, they've been kind of just hiding. And they're yeah. just kind of like, uh, Yeah, they're, uh. they're just reconnaissance. And so they're kind of watching all these f- events unfold. And you see that, once again, the, the telltale sign of they're retreating. Why are they retreating? This isn't good. They don't retreat. And so they're, they're following these two ships away, only to learn that behind the moon, we have another 20 or so that mm-hmm. are coming in to do it. And unfortunately, with their firepower, they still are able to destroy all of the UNSC ships, making even more ghosts of Onyx. Yeah. And I always love, like, definitely, like, the mix of, like, ground battles and and space battles mm-hmm. and, like, learning more about tactics. I know there are a lot of people who really appreciate kind of that part of these Halo stories. So then it, it moves on to we're back on Onyx. And everyone who's surviving right now, we have uh, Spartan 3s, we have uh, the Spartan 2s, and then we have, like, Halsey and Mendez. And they're all making their way to the uh, Zone 67, like the Forbidden Area that they talked about. And we start to realize, like, this is, like... And then they, they find that that Forerunner city, which I think is crazy that it's kind of it's like, well, that's why that was gated off. Well, and, th- and that's why we figure out... I mean, this is the first time we even see that there's a Forerunner city. Yeah, we've only ever seen, like, structures. Yeah, we've only seen the structures specifically in the Halo or from some dig sites that we've had. Uh-huh. But this is a full-blown city that's still functioning, obviously. It's producing Sentinels, and we'll learn... Yeah, it's kind of uh, like a factory. It's like a factory. We learn that they're actually producing the Sentinels uh, one every six seconds. Yeah, something crazy. Like, it just, like, there's no way they can take them out as fast as they're being created. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, so, they, so they, they take their Covenant dropship that they had from their the crashed ship that they brought in, mm-hmm. and they fly it through. And it's they keep saying, you know, it's big enough to fly dropships through. It's really awesome. And this whole section is really where you get the sci-fi-iness of Halo. And oh, boy. And it is... 
is confusing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there there's a few, like, crazy things going on. I know that uh, we start to learn that this planet is not really a planet. Mm-hmm. It's a shield world, quote-unquote. And that's one reason why Halsey actually wanted to come here, because she saw it was called a shield world. So, mm-hmm. she's like, so she thinks, like, I can bring the Spartans here, and we can be protected. Because she's, she, with what we saw in First Strike, she's going through, like, this moral dilemma of, like... I want to save my Spartans. These are my Spartans, you know, like, and we don't know this anymore, but at the time, like, these are like my children, like, I need to protect them. And so we start to see more and more of these kind of real motives, because I know at one point she was telling them about a hidden cache of Forerunner technology they could use, and that's why they were making their way there. Mm -hmm. And we start to discover, like, ah, that was a lie. And we kind of see, you know, she's kind of a shady character, and she's kind of manipulating people and bending, you know, what they should be doing for more of her own objective. Well, precisely. And and as we go through this, you know, Forerunner city, we start to see so many different dichotomies of it and the factory element of it. And we didn't touch on it earlier, but after winter, they now got uh, Endless Summer. And Endless Summer was kind oh, of telling yeah. them, like, through single beam communication, like, we need to shut this down. Mm-hmm. We need to shut down this facility and stop that. And so they make their way through and they realize that there's temporal rifts because there's teleportation things which actually take you through slip space, but it takes you from slip space to another part of the facility. And it's fun. It's interesting. And and so they get there. They're able to disable the facility and basically take that all down, uh, which is Lost on me. I, I will fully say that. <laughs> Don't they find those pods, too? So that's, that's, that's another section they figure out, is they figure out that another portion of the Gamma Company is still alive. Yeah, it's Katana. Yeah, it's they, Katana. They find Katana in these kind of pods, and after a while of Halsey examining it, she's like, and, and even like you can see, like it's almost like Nyland is purposely making this confusing because it's like Halsey's like... Oh, they're not here. And then and everyone's like, yeah, they are. They're in cryopods. And then she's like, well, oh, okay, they are here, but they're not here. Because at one point she tells Linda, point your sniper rifle scope at one of the one of the Spartans in Katana and tell me how far away it is. And it says it's infinitely far away. Mm-hmm. And Linda's like, oh, this this scope is messed up. And she's like, nope, it's perfectly fine. So they're trapped within. You know, they were they were captured by Sentinels, and they're kind of trapped in this weird endless space-time pod yeah so it's it's slip space but it is a subset of slip space so fun and they kind of talked a little bit about this when we're talking about transmissions and things some making Uh, it through some getting lost so those possibly went to a different subset of slip space yeah and things along those lines so yeah so they no one else except for halsey because obviously she's the cocky smart one can wrap their head around this but Mm -hmm. they do realize that those pods are movable yeah. And they're so, meant to be moved, is what they say. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so at this point, they're trying to make their way towards the core because they 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 need to make their way. And I think I said that Onyx was a shield world, but really it, what I – that was my mistake is that the core of Onyx will lead to the, a shield world. Yes. Yeah. And so 
my timeline might be a little off, you know, with all this slip space talk, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but at one point, it's either, bef- sorry, bef- it's e- for you guys, I'm sorry about this, but it's either before or after they find those pods, because I know that they, they discover them, mm-hmm. and they, because they, Halsey pulls up a map when they're on basically the teleporter, but Voro sends an initial wave in, and they discover, and they discover that same entrance, mm-hmm. because they had realized they're, they're, they're trying to ping the planet and figure out where the sequence is coming from because they are yeah. s- sending out this holy message and mm-hmm. they realize it's from this central point where these sentinels are coming from. Mm-hmm. So they fly in and previously you had some of Gamma Company and some of Blue Team rig up C4 and they detonated when they come in and a battle ensues. And unfortunately through everything, this is one of my favorite kind of graphic moments too, is the battle rages on, we have a ground battle and they eventually make their way because they originally had Mendez and the others were guarding the ship. And so in this kerfuffle, as they try and make their way out and they try and make their way away from the covenant, they realize Dante gets over to them. He's like, yeah, I, I think I got hit. And yeah. he falls. Yeah. And you realize like his, like his stomach has just opened up. Like he was just torn to shreds. Yeah. It was, it was such a graphic description. Like his ribs were showing and like had no like all this blood loss. There was just needles all inside of him. Mm-hmm. And you realize later that Kurt finally allows Halsey to understand what he did to the Spartans. Yeah, and why she, she's she's curious about the the Spartan threes. Is something we we haven't really touched on. She's kind of like really really curious, and she's asking them a little bit of questions, and they're asking her, mm-hmm. and she's wanting to learn, and she's kind of in this stalemate with with Kurt and he's like I can't tell you this information she's like well I'm not going to cooperate with you then yeah. so he has to tell him like okay listen these are the drugs I gave to them so they can survive and she starts to understand like I get it like I I'm in the same boat I cared about you guys mm-hmm. like it, so you see once again like he is kind of at this parallel with Halsey where he understands how she feels seeing all these people he cares for so much just dying in front of him yeah and this is kind of our last kind of heart to heart until we have our final battle uh-huh. and so they take the teleporter and it takes them to what they think is a snow world, and they think they're mm-hmm. outside, but they realize they have walls around them. And you have, uh, I like that, like, Mendez puts on these wraparound ancient metal things. And sunglasses. sunglasses. <laughs> I, I, I had to, like, re, like, I was, I, like, it went back, like, when I heard that. I was like, those are sunglasses. Yeah. Come on. And then, like, all the Spartans, you know, dim them and put on mm-hmm. a, a um, basically they're on their visors yeah, and everything yeah. like that. And they then start to see these motion. Mm-hmm. And they realize that the Covenant's here, and it's a full force. And this is where, you know, the battle, which is kind of what everyone looks forward to in a lot of these things, like the mm-hmm. huge, huge Nylon yeah. battle that happens. And you have stuff like Blue Team is just mowing stuff down, using all their ammo. There's grunts trying to set up uh, mortars, and they're yeah. going down. And, like, suicide grunts, too, running at them yeah. and everything. And elites are falling. All this stuff's falling. And they're realizing they're, they're, they're getting low, but then you have a hunter pair come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's when shit kind of really starts to hit the fan, because we also learned that there's three pairs total. Yes. So there are six hunters. And I think at one point, Voro says, like, we're ready to go, and he sees that they're, like, excited. So they're they're ready to go after them and this is when shit's really hitting the fan and it's kind of just going balls to the wall combat and that's when the hunter pair they they fire at them right so, so yeah so so you have linda fell she was in this battle and she falls and you have both hunters got fuel rod cannons lasered on her position around them mm-hmm. and they fire and holly actually jumps in front of it yeah so it's 
we're seeing these Spartan three sacrificing their lives for Spartan twos, people they don't know yeah, at and, all. And they just know that it's part of the mission. They she jumps in and she actually gets vaporized pretty much from what they say. Really yeah, not much she, left. She's done. Yeah, she's done. And so it blows everybody else back, but they're they're startled and they're trying to get up. And then you so you have these hunters that are pretty much winning at this. And so they're all stunned. And so Kurt, who's like, This is my team. I need to do this charges at a hunter, ready to shoot him, but then doesn't realize how fast the hunter can whip around and whips his uh, sh- uh, Yeah, because he, he comes down and kind of gives him like a hammer fist almost, like straight into his chest. And it's mm-hmm. like solar plex, right? Yeah, because he, he cause it, and they also talk like he was still wearing the spy suit. So spy suit armor breaks, cracks, and all like the internal gel and everything just fails out. Yeah. And, and he's like, I'm kind of lucky to still be here. But it's cracked ribs, he's bleeding, and he's like seeing double and just can't handle it. So he's got like this... Pretty much fatal injury at this point that we're mm-hmm. going to kind of learn about. And this is where Will comes in, right? Yeah, Will comes in and tackles him. Yeah. Tackles him down a hill. You got to think. It's like hunters are tall, like big. So you have one man, Spartan or not, tackle these two hunters. And then when Kurt goes to look, like, and I think they say everyone is stunned that he's taking on two hunters hand to hand. He's actually taking on all six because that's where the other four oh, are yeah. down there. So he's taking on all these six hunters and all the elites stop and they're just stunned and they're like, there's one spart against all of these and like they were stunned so at that same time all of kurt's team is over the hill uh opening up on them yeah i think i i just loved like because you know you like read or hear this and you like visualize it in your head you're just like holy shit this is absolutely incredible mm-hmm. like to see like this like visually like when you like just imagine and like you see that quote impossibility that spartans can perform yeah during something like this and this is this is one thing i would love to see on screen because when you have will down there and he's duking out with this hunter uh you've linda puts a shot straight through the hunter's stomach mm-hmm. and it doesn't do anything but then he raises his shield arm and Will actually goes in tighter and just like starts duking it out in his stomach and actually ripping out the, all the of worms, like the, the worms yeah. and the eels of it and like just tearing them down. And then unfortunately, eventually gets overcome by the hunters and mm-hmm. just gets shot and his armor melts and just everything melts and he's just done for. Yeah. So now we've lost three Spartans that we've gotten to know mm-hmm. within this two Spartan threes and and one Spartan two. And all of them went out fighting. It wasn't just like this unfortunate circumstance. You know, it's like they went down fighting because they knew what their their fate was going to be. So at this point, they kind of think they've won kind of like the first wave, correct? Yeah. So so. Once again, the idea of kind of the elites backing off and retreating. Mm-hmm. And so they're able to actually grab Will up. They still have Dante with them. They brought him with them. Yeah, they have the bodies. And they bring the bodies over to a teleporter that Halsey's been working at to try mm-hmm. and figure out a, some coordinate thing she was trying to figure out. This has been kind of like a, almost like a, a mission where you have to defend this asset. It's, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's a wave defense thing. So, yeah. So, so yeah. So, so the first wave is defeated. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately... Second wave's coming. Mm-hmm. We're seeing firefight pretty early on. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Eric Nyland. <laughs> yeah, Eric Nyland discovered firefight. <laughs> so yeah, so Voro's here. Yeah, and this is where we see this line of elites like watching, and we see that they all have uh, jackal shields. They all have jackal shields, and they they don't want to, but they know like, and and even the Spartans are like they only have these, so we'll waste our bullets on the jackal shields because they still have their overshields too. Yeah, and this is kind of the oh fuck moment because they they look over and they see one gold elite 
just dawn in this beautiful armor, like over mm-hmm. over all these other ones. That are well, just- you think of like that dull purple that they have, and then he's standing at the top, and it's just kind of like, yep, he is on a personal mission vendetta. Yeah. Like, you know, granted, it's it's it was from the supreme commander, but you know that he this is personal. Yeah, and he's realize, out here. They realize like there's there's no way they can do this, so mm-hmm. they start checking their clips, checking out what they got going on. There's not much, but. Uh, I believe Halsey then is like, "Hey, this teleporter thingy's active. We uh-huh. can go to our thing." And that's when that's when Kurt's kind of like, "Okay, you guys go. I'm going to arm these these Fenris nuclear warheads." They 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 had these, by the way. Forgot to pepper that in, but they had these warheads. And so yeah, yeah they they were uh, some of the same ones that they they scaled down mm-hmm. from earlier in the ship when they brought them with them. Yeah, and so Kurt's like, "Okay." I'm going to arm these and then come through. You guys all need to get out of here. So at this point, Kurt promotes Fred. He says, you're in control now. And you see blue team are like, listen, we lost you once. We can't do this again. And he's like, guys, it's fine. I'll see you on the other side. Like, it's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. And then we see the other Spartan threes all but Tom and Lucy stay for the moment. And then we see Mendez and Halsey. They all go through kind of this portal. And this is the point where uh, Tom and Lucy are like, listen, we know what you're going to do. We're staying with you. And so Kurt's like, okay, you guys are right. You can stay with me. But instantly, Kurt knocks out Tom. And so you see Lucy, she can't talk. So she's like frantically trying to like communicate with him. And he's saying like, listen, you guys survived that mission when you were kids. Like you're not dying here. You're not dying here. There's a reason you survived. You have more to do than just this. And so he he forces them on their way. And she tries to speak and all she can do is cry. Yeah, like you hear just her like starting to cry. Like it's not even the point like we we do truly learn like has nothing to do with her vocal cords or anything. It's like. Mental, yeah, it's mental, and so all we hear is these whimpers and her start to cry, and he he sends them on their way, and so and I and again, this is like one of those scenes like you imagine it in your head and just how like beautiful this whole scene is is that he's he's sending them off because he knows, okay, I'm I'm gonna die here. Well, I mean, it's Kurt's story, like like his his kind of not rise and fall, but his rise to actually being a leader. Because mm-hmm. previously he was never a leader within Blue Team. Mm-hmm. He was kind of a leader with the kids he was training. Going back a little bit, whenever uh, Fred and Blue Team join him, mm-hmm. he's like, "Listen, I know you guys have a, a mission, you know, from Commander, mm-hmm. but I'm ranking officer here and I'm control this planet, so you're under me." Yeah. And so Fred says, "You know, sir, yes, sir," but they said it was different. He had no respect, you know, in respect his voice. for him. Yeah. And so now, like, you're seeing him earning that. And we learn a little bit before that that uh, Hunter crushing him up, like, he's almost dead. So he, he's actually basically only being held together by biofoam. Yeah. Like, that's what he says. Is that, like, that's all he can really feel. So we see the oncoming, like, he's, he's starting to die. Mm-hmm. And w- in his last few actions are he's arming these warheads and he's on this kind of, is he yeah, like a tablet? And he's like, or he's on this comm that he's moving over all the Spartans that died to MIA. That's yeah, like yeah, one yeah. of his final actions as he's moving those over. And this is where we see Voro walk up. And so Kurt says like, hey, you have one more fight and it's with me. And it's kind of like Kurt doesn't know if that the elite like knew like his language. But like the, the, you could actually see that like, he respected him and yeah, like respected him as a fighter. Yeah. The elite's like, OK, I get it. You have a little bit of fight left in you. Let's do this. And he's like, you're going to die honorably. And Kurt can understand that through his translator. And this is where he says, you know, die. Don't you know, Spartans never die. And he arms the warhead. Oh, he, turns his, he turns his palm 
And he's got the trigger. And that's it. He he goes down. He he completely eliminates all of that opposing covenant force on Onyx. Yeah. And to go back a little bit, like I said, more sci-fi jargon with this. The reason why he was kind of waiting there and he couldn't just teleport himself was this wasn't just like one of those other weird teleporters there. Apparently, mm-hmm. apparently it was like a portal. Yeah, because he had to like wait till like winked out of existence before doing anything. Yeah, it disappeared. Uh, and something I forgot to mention is as he's dying, he sees the ghosts of oh, so cool. of, of these fallen Spartan threes just mm-hmm. standing there, and he, he was so far gone he couldn't tell if it was real or not. But and he they said, were, "I don't care." Yeah, he just he knew that they were there with him, and that's when he he arms the nuke and he goes out, and and it's so crazy. This explosion happens. And we saw the Dusk Prowler, you know. Yes, we out. go back. We go back. We, out to we go back ship. out to them, and you start to see the planet change. And they realize the crew of this Prowler realize Onyx wasn't a planet; it was one collective structure created by those Sentinels. Yeah, because they were like the the planet starts to crack and things start to pop. And he's like, "Is that? Are they glassing the planet?" They're like, "That's not Covenant. There's no plasma heat." That's coming from internal. Yeah, and it's just like this whole thing was itself just a bunch of sentinels mm-hmm. hooked together. And, you know, it's just like that's kind of the realization of why there are so many because they can just branch off. They're not only create them quickly, but they can just branch off of sections of the planet to attack anyone that they need to. So now we go, we're inside this kind of... The, the quote shield world where like all of the Spartan threes blue team and Halsey and Mendez went and they're kind of inside of what was Onyx. They're kind of in this like mm-hmm. different. Di- I don't want to say dimension. It is. It's a different. Uh, dimension different OK. Subspace. OK. Yeah. And so they have this. But, quick, it, but, but you're right. It is in the heart of Onyx. It's but it's the same type of thing with the Katana sub, team. Yeah. That this, they're in slip space, but they're in a subset of slip space within that same mm-hmm. area. And they have Katana team with them. Mm-hmm. They, they, they put them through. So they have a quick memorial for everyone. And it's, you know, we're, this is kind of like a cliffhanger ending because now the Spartan threes are starting to realize that they're part of this team. Mm-hmm. And so the book ends with Kelly saying the line that we heard at the beginning, which is. Well, yeah. Go back a little bit. So they're, the cliffhanger to start it off with is, you know, they're like, uh, we need to get out of here because we can't just because originally Halsey had wanted everyone to stay there. It was like, listen, we have time. Heal your wounds. Rest mm-hmm. up. Let's get back in the battle when we can. Jesse and I were talking about this and you know, he brought up that, you know, she's probably doing this and more than likely just doing this to keep her Spartans safe. Yeah. Because that's originally what she wanted. Yeah. At this point, uh, this story is explained upon later. But looking at it to the perspective of someone reading this for the first time, like this is kind of what we're seeing. Yeah. And and, and you're like, I think that's what it's going to be. And so then we cut over to Blue Team mm-hmm. and I believe it's Linda. I think it was Kelly. Was it Kelly? It was, it was Kelly who was thinking like, do you think uh, John's still alive? Yeah, that, that's what they're one because he's the only, he's like, they're saying like he's one of the only Spartans left, if not the only Spartan left. Yeah, and they're like, no doubt, like he's he's got this. And they're like, because they're like, he's the only one that can do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then at that point, the Spartan threes are wondering what's happening to them, but then they kind of learn of where they rank within the Spartan twos. Yeah, and so that's when Kelly goes over and, you know, and they even talk about this a little bit in the book, if Spartans clap, clasp another Spartan on the shoulder, like that's the most endearing sign of affection that yeah. they show. 
and so like Kelly does that, and it's like you know you guys, you guys proved yourselves. Like because mm-hmm. even they even talk about before when they're kind of talking about them, they're like, so what do you think? You know of the Spartan Three is like they're just kids. And it's like we were once just kids. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, like, they're Spartans, and that's mm-hmm. when you know she walks over. She goes, "Welcome to Blue Spartans. We're going to make a great team." And that's it. That's that's Ghost Savonics. Boom. You start with that quote up. You end with that quote. It's beautiful. It was great. So, you know, within this section, we saw this whole story come to an end. We saw Will and Holly die. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also saw Dante die. Yeah. And then we, most importantly, we see Kurt die. But he takes out everyone with him. He goes down fighting. And I think really, this book really, I think, as of right now, you know, this is truly one of the more emotional yeah. ones i mean this really made me like sad and like tear up reading this like oh man that, that, the end like like kurt's kurt's arc mm-hmm. is so cool seeing and, the ghosts too that's yeah, what man, really that's... just like and, and it's just like sad to talk about now i said i teared up the first time i, I actually every time mm-hmm. i've ever read or listened to this it's just it sucks to see a guy who's fighting because he thinks he's doing or you know he's doing what he thinks is right and He's just seeing hundreds of kids that he cares about die and finally seeing those ghosts staring back at him. And he just goes down for them, basically. I think that's one reason why they appear. And those are some of the ghosts that are talked about on the ghosts of Onyx. Yeah. And and to, to give you guys just a big recap on some of the most important points from this book. Mm-hmm. One, we see Spartan 3s. Yep. So we now see that in the lore, and that's going to come out with it and kind of expand as we continue on. Yeah. We see uh, the Great Schism really take effect in this it's, uh, it's, outside of you know the games themselves it's broke it's kind of like they looked at more as to like it's all these like little factions that are starting to break off and mm-hmm. like how the the brutes and the elites are battling each other exactly and then we see that you know not only are there constructs but there's quote unquote whole worlds of these sentinels mm-hmm. made out of sentinels yeah um but that are a production facility mm-hmm. to honor you know, those who could be reclaimers as they yeah. come. And we start to really see the depth of the Forerunner's technology more than we already thought, you know, we 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 could. Like, the fact that they have, like, these subsets of slip space and, mm-hmm. like, these cities and a whole planet's made out of sentinels. Like, I think it's really crazy. We also saw, you know, that New Mombasa wasn't the only place that was attacked yeah. on Earth. And I think also with Halo Uprising, our next episode, we'll see even more of that, too. But overall, like some, you know, crazy events happening, these characters that you care for starting to die. And I think that becomes a very common theme within these care or these these stories. I know Nyland really loved to do that. And I think that's one reason like you have all the, like that. I love Nyland's stories like you have all this crazy sci-fi mumbo jumbo but he really humanizes a lot of things at the end of it it does and i think really like you said seeing so much outside the games and that's why we do recommend all of this extra media if you've just played the games like you have i would say just a single track mind Mm -hmm. on what the story is and it's that chief kill chief leave chief win yeah and chief kind of like cortana yeah, that's, that's about it. And so getting these, I, t- to me, 
I mean, having grown up playing the games, you obviously get your own emotional toll from all that, but you get so much more emotional attachment to these characters when you mm-hmm. can actually get them described to you and feel their emotion and like really get to understand them when they're not just on a screen for a certain amount of time. Yeah, and have five lines a game or something like that. Yeah, precisely. So let's talk about kind of the reception of mm-hmm. this book. Uh, Ghost of Onyx would go on to become New York Times bestseller for 11 weeks and later go on to become an international bestseller, though many reviewers would bring up grammatical and and typographical errors in the book. Eric, as I said, had said, oh, we're going to do a reprint of this and all of that stuff's going to get fixed. And I don't think we've seen that reprint yet. But though, you know, no, no news of that. This would also be the first book in the Halo franchise not centered around Chief, not told from his perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people were worried about that at first, but it didn't affect the overall reception of the book. No, because I think for me too, once again, going back to it, Chief is such a one-dimensional character at times Mm -hmm. where he's just like, I do this, this is my purpose. Mm -hmm. And now that you get to see like the humanity of other Spartans, even like like Kurt being the human Spartan basically. Yeah. And understanding that arc is really neat. Yeah. And so unfortunately this is the last time we would see a full novel from Eric Nyland. We're going to see him again in Genesis and we're going to see him do a short story in Halo Evolutions but as a whole this is the last time we're going to see a full story from Eric and I'm, I'm still kind of waiting for a return but I really think one reason for that is the fact that there is some really confusing stuff going on. The story kind of bounces around so much so much that it kind of makes trying to understand it as a whole with one pass really hard to do. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, there was some fault for that. And I think that I can only imagine without uh, tour books really coming in to help iron everything out, like how crazier this story would have been. As I said, like Alex and I were disc- were talking about this before. Nyland tells really or he creates really good stories, but how he tells them is a completely different story. Yeah. You know, it's. He really goes off the deep end sometimes with that. And by by all means, I'm not saying this was a bad story or a bad book. I think you really have to like you have to be 100 percent zoned in focused on. It. But overall, yeah, just just, you know, I'd say it was still a good book. It just, you know, goes here and there and everywhere. But I'd say as a whole, if I had to rank this book, I'll give it a 4.5 out of 5 simply because of that sometimes confusing parts and that sci-fi mumbo jumbo but that's just me what about you i'm on the same boat with it i mean i i think the scientific part of it Mm -hmm. is you say sci-fi mumbo jumbo but the (laughs) science fiction part of it i think is necessary if you want to advance it than more than just a first person shooter that has some aliens in it Mm -hmm. i thought it was very interesting the talk of different dimensional slip space and and getting to that point i thought it was good it was a good book there was Definitely portions of it that once, like I talked about earlier, a little confusing, and I would love to see a visual representation because for me, I couldn't visualize. It was kind of hard, especially at the end when they're like, so it's about seven meters by 10, and then it's this color, and it's this. I'm like, I can kind of see that, but what is this and this and that? So a little confusing on that aspect, especially the end of the book, Mm -hmm. but I thought overall, lore-wise, I mean, it's Spartan 3s. Yeah, it, it told a lot. 
I mean, it's a little lot. I mean, like if if you were just to read one book and be like, oh, that's why there's more Spark. Like you would yeah. kind of start to understand that there's more. There's another program out there that it mm-hmm. wasn't just yeah. this single program that happened to be there. And why are these other things? Yeah, well, I think definitely a lot of people were confused why there were Spartan threes and Reach. Yeah, uh, and then and because a lot of people didn't read these uh, this book. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think that was also Bungie's last game. So they're like, yeah, screw it, doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, guess what? Three, four, three. Deal with this wrench. <laughs> no, so it was it was good. I mean, it, overall, like I said, very good book. I, I as far as gaming books go, mm-hmm. they've done well. I like I said, I've read a lot of different gaming books. I used to read a lot when I was a kid because I like oh I play this game like brute force or things like that. Yeah, uh, Mass Effect, and these just lived up to it a bit more than I thought it would. So I'm gonna give it plenty of stars out of plenty of other stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, quality, quality book. Quality book. Yeah. yeah, again, great book. We recommend it. I know a lot of people have told us that they've been looking forward to our review of this book, so we hope you liked it because this was a fun episode to record, definitely revisiting these really heart-touching moments. Moving on from that as a whole, our next book is going to be Halo Uprising, our second comic book episode. And I'm pretty excited about that episode as a whole. We just had our, our third game night. This past Saturday. And this game night was a really good one. We discovered a new religion during it. Yeah. All praise the whale. Yep. Bless the whale. Bless and, the franc. Uh, and hope it, it returns the blessings. But yeah, if you if you haven't participated in these game nights, uh, join our Discord. Typically, it's the link in the bio on our Instagram. If not, message us on any social. We'll send yeah. it to you. And, and we're typically, right now, as far as our schedule goes for Jesse and I, we are every other Saturday evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's typically 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to change it up a little bit in the future. We want to include a couple more people who can't necessarily make it, especially our European audience, mm-hmm. and then possibly people who have to go to bed a little earlier. Yep. Yeah. We've been chatting with uh, some European Discord members and really looking forward to playing with them here soon. So yeah. So we'll get that set and just just pay attention to, if you're already in the Discord, like we give you guys info first, so you'll get that. Mm-hmm. But also Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we'll have a lot more info on there for you as well. Yeah. So again, tune in in two weeks. We'll be checking out Halo Uprising. That's a, a great comic. It tells kind of the story of what happens on Earth in between two and three. And with that, I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. Finished. No, I think we're just getting started.